Ghostbuster toys. So much fun, it's spooky. Play Ghostbusters. With your own play figures. Come on there, ghost bust. Jake has a magic backpack and ghost gun. Prime Evil has a real cape. Look out, humans. Ah! Pull yourself together, you rusty wreck. That's spooky. Ghostbuster figures from Shopper. So much fun, it's spooky. Mothers, mothers and brothers, <laughs> all right, we are back. We're live. I don't think, I wonder how many mothers are listening to the cast. There might be a few now our age, <laughs> but you're talking about like, you know, like our mother's age. I don't well, know. I don't know about that. I don't yeah. think there's any of <laughs> Listening to like, uh, I know we got a lot of downloading. We have a lot of young fathers that listen to the cast. We do have a lot of fathers, brothers, sisters, but we wonder how, but we have girls on women. and daughters. It's like the other day I, I said, I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, this kid I, I do the podcast with. And he's like, well, how old is he? I go, he's my age. He's like, why are you calling him a kid? I'm like, well, <laughs> you just, said that to everybody. You said that. You kid. I, re- I called you out on that because it was someone who's older than us. You're like, this kid I work with. Yeah, you're like, I was like that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's in his 70s. I'm like, it's, it's like, it's like, calling old a guy. We are. it's like, I have an issue with people who like, you know, I'm friends with you, but then they're going to still call me bro, dude, guy. Round eye and all these different names. And it's like you know, Guaylo, <laughs> yeah, Guaylo, you know, Padawan, you know, you Blade Runner, <laughs> you know. I just, I hate when people still call me like uh, Howley. Hey, bro, Howley. Yeah, the surfer thing. North Shore. Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay, yeah. Why you keep calling me Howley? Because you're a Howley, Howley. Yeah, I saw. You know, it, it, it's one thing people call you, dude, bro, chief. What up, bro, Brooker? You know, I hate that. It's like I know your name. You know my name. <laughs> Come on. Brucka. I haven't heard Brucka in a long time. <laughs> Brucka's in years. I still call people Brucka. <laughs> That's way down the alley. That's right way down there. the alley. Uh, welcome back to to uh, another um, episode. Summer, summer spectacular. S- the summer solstice spectacular s- festival. I'm putting an S on Fest- top of festival. Festival. Festival of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Whew. <sighs> it's a real exciting episode. We're coming live from my house today. Ooh. Um, live from... Yeah, we were but we were, de Dion. <laughs> we were gonna do it in Blake's uh, parents' house, but they had to. They're blowing insulation into the attic, so they had to take everything down from the attic to blow the insulation up in it to do one of those, uh, those uh, what do you call those things? Those audits, the, the, the environmental audits. So they have all their stuff now in their basement now that was in the attic, and after we helped them take it out, we can't just do the cast down there. So we called the last minute audible. We came over here, moved everything out of the living yeah. room, sleeping on the floor. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> roll out so the you, sleeping bags. You may occasionally hear my dog run by, playing with the cat, because the dog just got a cat, and the cat and the dog gotta are, feed the dog, Dion. Gotta feed the dog. Oh, dog's gonna run away. Dog's gonna run away. <laughs> These are all references that nobody except the two of us understands, which makes them even more creepy and freaky. <laughs> Might be one other person that yeah. understands that. And, and we and haven't probably to, forgot all about it. And we haven't talked to that person close to fifteen years. <laughs> He could be dead for all we know. Let's hope not. Yeah. Here's to you, Lars Huss. Um, Shout out to Lars. Good old Lars. From our Lake old, George area. Yeah, our old college uh, roommate. But uh, how you been since I last seen you? <sighs> I've been busy, man. Yeah. Busy. How's the book coming? I, I heard the, you have a book coming out. I got the books going, trying to get people to be interested in it. I'm interested. <laughs> trying to promote it. Yeah. I'm going to try to 
You're getting some. You're going to go to some conventions. I'm going to try to do some conventions yeah. in August. And you're going to the epilepsy convention coming up. You're going to the uh, do a signing in Burbank at the end of August. And uh, other than that, just trying to get people interested in maybe reviewing it for their websites and podcasts. And I did a short interview with Rue Morgue magazine, which oh, is cool wow. because. It's actually the only magazine at this moment that I have a subscription to. So wow, it was neat. at the moment, yeah. <laughs> and that's I've, cool. I've had, sometimes I have subscriptions to other things. Yeah, not to like Home Improvement or or like you know. Well, like you know, Popular Time, time Out New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you got me a Time Out New York. I randomly started getting Time Outs in my mail, and I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> and then I thought I, my identity was stolen. <laughs> it was oh, you're yeah, like yeah. you're like no, I got that for you. Enjoy it, asshole. <laughs> I was like, oh, you yes. son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. That was at the end. Because it usually says, enjoy this. Yeah. Courtesy didn't of come. Like, send it to you. No, no. It just started, I just started coming up, showing up. I was like, who has my address? And then I went and just slapped my wife. I was like, <laughs> do you, you, did you want something? <laughs> and she said, no. Why would you hit me? And I go, all right, then. That was just an attention getter. That's horrible. I don't really do that. She does that to me. But uh, that's, I can talk like that because she's not in the room. But hey, welcome to a very exciting Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Today is another uh, galactic episode because we're doing um we're doing a big. Every time we do a, a one of these, now we do a big one, and this is a, certainly a big one. Um, it's, it's a, a big one. It's a big one that started a franchise. It started. It, it was a movie, and it was a franchise, and then it was a movie. Bef- it was a TV show before the movie came out. And there was a cartoon for a minute that confused everybody. Then another cartoon came out purporting to be the real one. And then we had another movie. And then we have a whole universe now. And there's now uh, cosplay. And now, as of this recording, there is a new movie coming out. It's a reboot. Some kind of reboot. Yeah, this which could either be really good or really bad. So we're going to um, plead the fifth because we haven't, <laughs> we haven't, seen, it we haven't seen it yet. So we're not going to answer that question. Uh, we're not going to make any judgments or aspersions, you know. So, um... This week we're doing um, Ghostbusters from 1984. 1984's Ghostbusters. Yeah. Before we dive in, you had expressed that you had something. Oh, yes. Last, to, to yeah. follow up on our last epic. Yeah. Our last epic, we did Greystoke, the, the Legend Longest of Tar- title uh, yeah. that we may ever do. Greystoke, Greystoke the Legend, Legend of Tarzan, Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Lord of the Apes. And we talked about the Walt Newton family in that one. And I tried as horribly as I did to try to explain what the Walt Newton family was. And if people don't know what that... Uh, was from the last cast. It's just a, a sci-fi writer named uh, Philip um, Jose Farmer developed this theory where in the old, to just kind of explain away why all these great characters came out around the turn of the 20th century. And he said, uh, a real-life event, a meteor in 1795, and Walt Newton, Yorkshire, England, fell. And he said that a uh, fictional coach of people were going by, and uh, they were affected by these gamma rays from this uh, meteor, and uh, the descendants in the coach, th- their descendants were all these famous people, like Tarzan, like yeah. uh, Sherlock so Holmes. So he took a, an actual event and then kind of like yeah, wove some, in his own fictional <laughs> story. Yeah. To and people were of, like, that's such a great idea that it's become like now from a family becomes a universe. And like you said, well, that's a pretty big coach because now <laughs> these characters start interchanging. Like Noah's Ark. Yeah, yeah. Because then you have like the time traveler in there from H.G. Wells. You have uh, Philip Marlowe. You have, uh, you know, even like Sam Spade. So it gets really tied in. Is it like... Peter Venkman's family on, yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's, on the coach. <laughs> yeah, who knows? You know, and, and it's, it's explain away why you have all these great characters who are either you know geniuses, they have physical ability like Tarzan, or, or do they use their 
uh, you know, abilities for good, like a Sherlock Holmes, or for bad, like a Moriarty. So if you ever heard of that Wald Bond, uh, Wald Bond, Wald Newton family, check it out. But what I there was a continuum to that, which this relates over where I was going to talk about last cast, but we were already getting into the weeds. Yeah, I was not. like, I can't keep derailing the cast. But there's a guy named Tommy Westfall, okay? And uh, Tommy Westfall was um, a character in um, St. Elsewhere, the old TV show. Okay. So uh, what happens is uh, Tommy Westfall has autism. Uh-huh. Last episode. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Although I, I think most people our generation know this. Of the, the, the finale. Of, yeah, of, of uh, St. Elsewhere. Premiered. It's, it's a pretty notorious. Yeah, it's a very heavy one, and it premiered on uh, May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty eight. Last episode called the last one, and what happens is like the final shot. Saint Elsewhere was a hospital show. All this stuff takes place in a hospital. And, uh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Denzel Washington for a minute. Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel. It was one of the. It was like basically like your first ER. You know, people like you know that kind of thing where you're following people around and one takes, and it was like you can't do this. It can't be done. Yes, we can. It became a very like mashish kind uh-huh. of a show. So the very last episode is. Uh, uh, whatever happens in that episode, it cuts to like a fade out, and it's like you see the exterior of the um, hospital. It's starting to snow, and it's panning back, and all of a sudden, you it kind of like I think fades or dissolves, and uh, all of a sudden you're in this apartment, and it's like twilight, and there's like a child looking at a snow globe, but inside the snow globe is a hospital, and um, all of a sudden there there's there's a, a character in it, Daniel Oslinger, uh, uh, he's sitting there. Uh, with the kid and he's no longer the doctor we think he's he's wearing different clothes and then the door opens and it's another guy um from the the show and all of a sudden you it looks like there's like a father-son relationship there where the older guys that's his son that's coming in and he's looking after the grandson tommy westfall who's the autistic boy and the 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 other gentleman comes in takes his clothes off it looks like he's wearing a construction outfit uh, construction worker, and he's like, you know, uh, how's Tommy Westfall doing? Tom, Tommy Westfall. How's Tommy doing today? <laughs> I was Tommy Westfall. <laughs> yeah, how's Tommy Westfall doing today? And uh, he's like, there's no change. And then he's like, and then the, the, the guy taking the construction uh, thing out, he's like, oh, it's so frustrating. I wish I can break through to him. I wish there's a way I can talk to him. And it kind of fades out with the, the child Tommy looking at the snow globe. Yeah. And he's shaking it in the snow, and inside is the hospital. So it kind of leaves the idea in your head that maybe Tommy was the one who kind of it's all in Tommy's head like the the, the hospital this uh, you know the, the snow the hospital's in the snow globe and he's looking at it so this is all within Tommy Westfall's head the whole series of St. Elsewhere uh-huh. so there's this thing then because of this that this this um, man put forth his name was Dwayne McDuffie in 2002 he was a writer he wrote this thing called Six Degrees of St. Elsewhere and it was published in a baby uh, again in BBC in 2003 in an online news article where uh, he's saying he does this thing called the Tommy Westfall universe. It's a hypothesis that because uh, supposedly St. Elsewhere is in Tommy's head, there's been since then a lot of crossovers of characters going to other shows. Mm -hmm. So what the Tommy Westfall universe hypothesis is that all these other shows then have to be from Tommy's head. So you have Munch, who was on Homicide, Life in the Street, uh, what's his name, Belzer, Mm -hmm. Richard Belzer. He had uh, guested on the show, and then he went on to do Law & Order. So you start following the breadcrumbs, and it's like that would mean the entire Law & Order series is in Tommy's head. And then uh, Homicide, Life in the Street's in his head. And then when you start to follow everything, this this person, uh, Dwayne McDuffie, actually did this diagram, and like literally 90% now of 
television shows would have to be from Tommy Westfall's head, going from X-Files to this and that. And that's what this Tommy Westfall universe is, that since St. Elsewhere was there, all these now are in his head. And it's this really... It, you know how you see how it lends itself to the Wald Newton yeah, family yeah. thing where people like this Tommy Westfall hypothesis now is that uh, all these shows are in this autistic kid's head. And it's like, wow, God bless him for all this programming. <laughs> God bless Tommy Westfall. Yeah. So if you haven't heard of this, I'd never heard of it. And someone brought it to my attention and I found it f- fascinating. Go Google Tommy Westfall and you can actually see the graph that people have made that there's like thousands of shows that um, that are in his head. And again, like I said with the... Uh, Wald uh, Newton family theory there's controversy there's objections and then it's like some philosopher from Cornell University Brian uh, Weatherson he wrote a piece called Six Objections to the Westfall Hypothesis saying that like uh, you know all of it's uh, you know poppycock and it's all ridiculous so all these um, intellectuals get like you know these high horses and they're like this you know this can't be you know so it's funny that, that this this really ruffles people's feathers. Huh. So have you ever heard of that? No, I have not heard of that. I yeah. mean, I know the thing elsewhere. Yeah, the finale. finale yeah, but, but then it know. it kind of like lends itself to like, oh, maybe everything's in Tommy's head. Little Tommy's head, you know. Little Tommy. And it is interesting. You think about it's almost like the end of um, one of the um, Andy Newhart shows. Is oh, yeah. he wakes uh, up? Bob Newhart. Um, yeah. yeah, Andy Newhart. The second one. Yeah, where he wakes up and it's like he's having a dream, and it's like go back to sleep. And there, even there, isn't there an episode? Isn't the Dallas thing, where it's like remember when they killed Jr. They I've, killed Bobby, and they just pretended like it didn't happen. Yeah, he comes out of the shower, right? He's like, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, you know." So it's I like, guess it was supposed to be his wife thought he was dead, and then he, she walks in and he's uh, taking a shower, and, and he opens just, the shower and they door. Just pretended a whole season of the show didn't actually happen. Yeah, so I always find it funny that when you, you it's an eighties phenomenon. Yeah, when you're a fan <laughs> and you invest yourself into a show like a, like a Saint Elsewhere that was that groundbreaking, and then the last shot in the last episode they tack on this really weird thing where these characters that you know are now playing different people, and it's all of a sudden like. What does this have to do with anything? You know, it's almost like I guess they're doing they're going like in the direction of Lost, which I never watched. Yeah, but yeah, I, watch I heard a lot of that was like, what the fuck is going on here? How do they have cars and planes? You know, the other tie-in to the last episode, the tar- the uh, Grey Soak episode, is I recited a story that I went home to my mom's house. Yes. And I was digging through boxes because they want to throw out a bunch of shit. <laughs> As they always want to do. We want to downsize. We want and to throw I your life away. found a lot of sleepover movie gold. And you've been bringing it back. And, and we, so I gave you last episode, I gave you the... You gave me the 1989 uh, handout that the Warner Brothers gave out to the people who saw the Batman uh, screening, Tim Burton's Batman in the theater. And it was like a brochure for like a catalog of the new toys coming out, other stuff Warner Brothers was selling. Because remember at the time, Warner Brothers had a oh, lot yeah. of... Oh, uh, yeah. It was a big deal. And I remember... The Warner Brothers catalog, store. Yeah, you get Warner this catalog, catalog in the mail and it was ridiculously expensive. And you're like, I don't care, Daddy, buy me this. I yeah. want this. I want this leather jacket. <laughs> I want this fucking $500 Joker's wild leather jacket. Like, no, no, no. So, yeah, and you gave me that... cat. That uh, We had brought it up on another cast. Yeah, yeah, on our Batman cast. Yeah. We talked about it. So and you and found we had it. a listener send us like a scan of it. Yeah, he's like, I have it still. And we're like, oh, good for you. Turns out... Now we all have it. Yeah, we all, for some reason I had like six copies because you you went to it. See, it's six times opening day. And so, so you've been bringing stuff back. So my next one. Now you've been surprising, and I brought two so that we can both enjoy. Uh, now I, I don't know what they are. You don't. Yeah, Blake's going it into on his you. pocket and he's saying he's bringing out a handkerchief, saying, "Does this smell like chloroform to you?" <laughs> and then I'm gonna. <laughs> and so since we're doing Ghostbusters, I have from 1984. Oh, come on, look at it. Blake is just uh, out of his pocket. Yeah, bring him, shake him near your microphone. Now they're not shaking anymore. They were shaking before. Yeah. They're, they're pins. He's got like us a ghost, button with a Ghostbuster buttons. I'm a Ghostbuster. I'm a Ghostbuster with the Ghostbuster emblem. 
Is this from 1984? Circa 1984. Give me one of them. One of them has my name written. (laughs) You keep the one that has Blake on it. Here's here's the one for you. Wow, we're gonna put this. We're We're gonna gonna put these babies on. We're putting these on, as you can hear. Ow! (laughs) Yeah, don't pinch yourself. Yeah. Ow. We'll have to take a picture of us with our real dorky. We are. (laughs) Okay. So that's uh, that's gift number two. Show and tell. Now we're we're gonna be we're gonna use the power from 1984 from from art from the archive. Straight out of the archive. It was vintage. And this is going to help us do button. the... Uh, and this harkens back to our Batman cast because we had we tried to eat the cereal that almost killed us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now we're doing a uh, a podcast on uh, Ghostbusters and we're using... We've got well, you know, it's actually, it's actually, there is a more of a tie-in for Batman in that, like, remember when we talked about how they advertise Batman, which is like they just started putting the emblem in it yes, everywhere? Yes, This is another one, yeah. Ghostbusters, with this pin, before we knew what Ghostbusters was, that emblem of the ghost in the in circle the, with the thing, yeah. they just started popping up. Yeah, like, like Dick Trace, they it, did that with Dick Trace. It feels like over almost like a year before anybody even knew what it was. And I think we brought that up with the Batman cast, how brilliant that marketing is, that like it became like a pop phenomenon with... The Batman logo, the Dick Tracy logo, the Ghostbusters logo, these are so iconic. Yeah. Now, where you can, like, can you really stop down and say, aside from Ghostbusters and Batman, it's like, is there, what other emblem you can readily think of, like a poster that you still see now? Oh, it's the Batman logo. It's like a brilliant piece of marketing. Well, you know, I think in the Batman we talked about, just like from a superhero standpoint, like Batman and Superman. Yeah, have those, those, just have very distinct things. And we couldn't think of like a Marvel one, maybe the. Yeah, we said the Punisher, maybe, but Punisher, then it Punisher, and then maybe, like, Captain America's shield. Thing. Yeah. And then, I guess, maybe even, like, a kind of Spider-Man, but, you know, but certainly Batman's and... and but recognizable, you know, and, you know, yeah. the... This I think maybe even Donner's, did maybe, was there... I wonder if there was a, like, a uh, a preview know. poster we were for Donner's Superman. Little, we were too small. Yeah. When that was came out. To, 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 to <laughs> know that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Ghostbusters... Yeah, it was this brilliant stroke of marketing to just have that emblem. And the emblem's very kid-friendly because it's kind of cartoony, but it's like a very distinct image. Yeah. And it just started popping up apparently everywhere. And so for like months, maybe even a year beforehand, people were like, what is this for? Yeah. It, it, and then all of a sudden it was like, it's Ghostbusters. You kind of like, yeah! can't, you kind of don't really know what it is. And it turns out to be this, this and especially if you... If you put it out there that far in advance, it's also like the marketing for uh, Darkman. Remember uh, Sam Raimi's Darkman? It's yeah, like, yeah. and the only thing it was was just like, who is Darkman? And then you just see like a, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you see like a three second shot of like, you know, like uh, him running in that trench coat in the fedora, and you can't see his face on like a, uh, on like, a, like uh, a fire escape, and there's like a helicopter shooting at him, yeah, and it's like, like that was apparently it. he's the shadow. Yeah, he, he looks like the shadow. There's the shadow. I bet you the shadow knows who the Darkman is. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Ghostbusters, and this is, goes back to like 84, we talk about what, the summer of 84, the summer year of 84. 84. I think even Great Stoke was 84, I don't know. Great Stoke was 84. I don't think we knew what year, what like month it came out. I don't think it was a summer movie. But. No, uh, and this one came out, uh, this released June the 8th, I mean it premiered, uh, June 7th was the premiere, but it was released to Mass Marcus June 8th, 1984, so this then is officially the summer of 84, and we talked about the summer of 84 as like... You've got like Terminator, you've got like Temple of Doom, you've got what Gremlins, you know, you've got Karate Kid, you've got uh, did the Back to the Future come out that year. You might have, I think, that, I feel like that was '85, but you have, but there's so Last many Starfighter. I think Last Starfighter is '84. Um, there's there's quite a few movies from '84, uh, but you know, whenever we did um, Temple of Doom, 
Temple of Doom, yeah. I think whenever we did, uh, we might be wrong about these. Don't hold us. No, I think, <laughs> but I think I'm pretty I sure think that for the that's most the part. List. And we, whenever we did Krem- Gremlins, or maybe it was we when we did the original and last, Terminator and Lost Starfighter, we talked about yeah, Summer of '84, just Summer of '84, and how many awesome franchises, not just movies that ended up being good, but like you know, like how popular was the Karate Kid, and how popular, I guess, uh, sleeper wise was like you know Jim Cameron's Terminator, and then like you know. This Ghostbusters certainly wasn't going to be a sleeper. There was such great marketing for it that it was, it just took off. And it was a movie that was number one in the theaters, uh, went to like number two and number three, and then came back and was like number one again after like six for like another six weeks or something yeah, crazy, yeah. which is kind of I remember seeing semi unheard of the movies. You do, yeah. And I remember like being at my dad's house. Like I didn't have my mom didn't have cable, but. At my dad's house, they, he had cable, and I remember being on a lot. Yeah, I remember you know, being like on. After, obviously, that's how I saw it. I think I had one of like the I had the movie channel, like you know, and uh, I think that's how I saw it because I don't think I saw it in a the theater. And it was a big deal. I mean, I had like it was huge pencil eraser that was the emblem, like yeah. a giant thick. Back when you had pencil erasers, that you could like throw at somebody, yeah, knock them out, kill them, <laughs> knock them out. It, it 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 became a phenomenon, and it wasn't quite. You know, they the, you, we always talk about marketing to children, and certainly with G.I. Joe and Transformers around like 84, 85, they were getting their heads together of how to sell things to kids, and Star Wars kind of started that. Prior to that, you had the disaster flicks, but it didn't seem to me like when this movie came out in 84, you initially really had like toys to go with it. Oh, no, I don't you think know? that became a thing until the so show. Like, yeah, the cartoon show, when the cartoon right? came out in like, I think 86 was the cartoon, uh or maybe even 87, the real Ghostbusters, that's when they, and I think it was maybe because Bill Murray, I heard Bill Murray didn't want to license his likeness to the toys, and like, oh, that fucking sucks, Bill Murray, why are you going to go do that, <laughs> you know? So then when they ended up doing the real Ghostbusters cartoon, they were able to then pattern the toys off the likeness of the, of the, of the caricatures of the cartoon. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But that's a delay, though. But I remember, let's see, I remember being in third grade. So I remember this movie coming out. I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw the crap out of it when it was on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we can get about, talk about it the moments later, but I remember being in third grade, and all I wanted was, like, the Ecto-1, like the Cadillac. Everybody yeah. wanted that Ecto-1 because it looked well, so cartoon, cool Well, the cartoon, I think it's hard to put into perspective if you were not our age. Like, okay, the movie was huge. Yeah. Big block, you know, like, big success. 84, and then you wait a couple years. But the the cartoon show, which I believe started on Saturday mornings, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And then eventually became, you know, they would re-show them in the afternoon, I remember. Eventually became an afternoon cartoon show. But it was... I mean, at least for me, the cartoon show was a big deal. It was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah, it went from 1986 to 1991, so we were right the ballpark of um, of our uh, timing there. And uh, it was a really, really good show. I mean, it like quality. If you go back and watch that today, the Which animation is, is I awesome. I just watched the first episode of it not too long ago on Crackle. Yeah. For people that have, uh, like, Crackle on their Roku boxes or, you know, Apple TV or whatever. That channel. I believe it's on It's yeah. on there, and I, I watched an episode of it. And, you know, it was, it was totally entertaining. I, and I think it's a step better than, I mean, I don't know if this is, like, controversial, but I think it's, like, a step up than, like, say, a G.I. Joe or Transformers in a sense where it's, like, they use kind of, like, Manhattan or New York as, like, a character because, like, you never really see in other cartoons where, for, for example, Janine, their secretary... Every episode, her outfit changes, and that's like 
unheard of. Yeah. And they, there's so much detail into certain things. And then as well as like each episode, you're like in a different borough or you're dealing with, I mean, you have to say the ghosts are kind of stupid looking, you know, because I can, they're, they're pitching yeah. it to kids. But they were serious enough where I remember a couple of the episodes were quite scary. Like there was a true story of like um, in Hartford, Connecticut in like 1910 or 12, there was a big like uh, circus fire where, uh, you know, somebody, like, hot summer day, Ringling Brothers had, like, an outdoor circus event, and somebody smoking, like, through the cigarette, it caught the big top, and the big top went up in, like, five seconds, and, like, thousands of people died to the point where they had, like, children that were never identified, and I don't understand how that happened. They just had the bodies there, and they took pictures, and to anybody who this child is, and to this day, there's, like, you know, Little Miss, whatever her name is, still hasn't been identified, but they did, like, a a version of that with the ghosts on, like, the property. The Ghostbusters have to go up, and it was the ghosts of the animals that had been killed, and then there was another one where it was, like, there was a farm, and the farm was haunted by the old people who used to live there, so at night, they'd come out, and there were zombies, and they were, like, tending to the farm, so... The Ghostbusters figured out they had to go and like talk to them and say, hey, look, you're dead. You're ruining the farm. You know, you're not doing it right. Let the live people. And it was like the guy's jaws hanging off. And I'm sure it was much more frightening, you know, if I watched it now comparably. But they had these really interesting episodes or another guy like, do you remember any of these? Like there was a rich guy who wanted to die and he wanted to take all his money with him. And I think it was like a Citizen Kane like a rosebud you know that yeah, was yeah you know, i do remember like a rosebud episode you know that was kind of like you know so they were doing these kind of like homages to stuff like citizen kane yeah but then they're I doing these... like that was to, that's funny you bring that up because now that you bring it up i remember like that was like my introduction to, to like, citizen, citizen kane because they're saying the like yeah rosebud whatever <laughs> so there's all these little episodes of the, the real ghost of the real ghostbusters that that were going on and, and they were like they're good and they're like some of them like are scary and and then I, I talk why they're darker because I guess as they realized that Slimer was becoming f- a kid phenomenon and friendly around like 1988, they started to, to do, uh, it was called, um, they, uh, it became Slimer exclamation point in the real Ghostbusters. So they'd have a real Ghostbusters episode and then the second half they'd have like an episode of Slimer. And then they also started making the ghosts and monsters on real Ghostbusters less scary because they didn't want to kind of like alienate the young audience who were coming to see Slimer. Yeah, yeah. So it was, there were like there's an episode where they're in Westchester and they're like, there's Ebenezer Scrooge and there's like some really, remember the, the, the Jack, uh, Jack Hollow, they, they, there's that whole episode where they're like, the, the, it's the, the guy who's the jack-o'-lantern who's based on Halloween. Yeah, he's got yeah. like an Irish accent and he's like, <gasps> you know, yeah, it's, and there's this, is the first episode, the one with the, with the, um, this, the, um, the slumber man, what's his name? The sleeper, the sleeper, the 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 uh, Mr. Sandman. Is that the one where Mr. Sandman's putting him all to sleep? I think so. You know, I believe that they go to a hotel in that one, in the first one. At no. least the first episode that I watched. I'm crying. But uh, it was really good, and, and it was like you know, it was phenomenal. Well, yeah, it was you know, a huge phenomenon, and uh, the toys were cool. Yeah, you know, I had Ecto One. Uh, I had all the guys. In the the guy, you had regular guy figures. And then you had figures that would do funny stuff, like you'd hold it, and, and this one squeeze they, their legs. Yeah, they they were possessed, so they turn into like a monster. Yeah, or and like their uh, eyes would pop out. Or you have you have one where like the bad guy or the ghost was like a little old lady, and you hit a button, and she turned into like a big demon or something. And I remember this was another one of these car, uh, toys that the commercials, the the freaking 
commercials they had were amazing. The the uh, the backgrounds. It was like the Dick Tracy, oh, or, yeah. you know, where like you know the the it's okay. New York City streets. <laughs> the sets yeah, the place that they had, for the yeah, or just, where, where so much better. It was like these dirty streets, and you'd have like steam coming up from manholes, and the kids are playing on these sets of Ghostbusters, and you'd have the um, the Ecto One screaming around. It was just such a and then they really had, good quality um, show. Then you could get that you know I'm sure they had more than one, but then they had like a proton pack. You could get. That's the, this is where my story was going with the, with the, then, with the stuff you can you can and, a, and they had a trap. Yeah, I didn't have the trap. I didn't have the proton pack, and which you can, I believe had like a foam. If I recall correctly, the proton pack might have had like the, like a like a like a neon colored foam that you can like shoot stream out that would shoot. so you could pretend it was like you were trapping them. But then they had the one which I did have, which was really fucking cool, which was just like the gun part. Yeah. And you could put batteries in, and you could project. Yes, the slides. Goal. There was like a, like almost like a um, like a viewmaster type slide. Yeah, and you could put it in there, and it would project an image of a ghost on the wall, and then you could like, you know, hit the uh, button, and it would make noise like you were like you were, you were shooting it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that was. I had that. I loved that thing. Yeah. Um. Before we get away from the cartoon, it's also notable to mention the the voice actors on it. You had um. Lorenzo Music, who was the voice of Garfield, uh, regularly, he was the voice of um, Bill Murray's character, and yeah. that's kind of full circle because then he passes away, Lorenzo Music, and then when they do that live action uh, Garfield movie, they have Bill Murray voice Garfield, and then you had um, Maurice LaMarche do the voice of um, Dan Aykroyd's character, I got for Ray, Ray, and he we know him as uh, he's the brain from Pinky and the Brain. He's always doing the voice of Orson Welles, yeah. And he's actually the voice of Orson Welles for Vincent D'Onofrio and Ed Wood. You know, at the end, there's a cameo where it's Vincent D'Onofrio playing Orson Welles, mm-hmm. and Ed Wood meets him. But uh, Maurice Lamarche does the voiceover, and he also does some great Shatner. People know him actually now. He's the spokesman for Lexus. So him, and then rounding out the cast, you have Frank Welker as always. He's in there, I think, as. Um, I think he he's Dan Aykroyd's character. Maurice Lamarche is Egon, and then the last one, Winston, is Arsenio Hall. And Arsenio Hall was the voice of Winston for a couple of years until they they had a, a turnover where Lorenzo um, Music left, and then Arsenio Hall left, and Frank Welker and Maurice Lamarche stayed. But uh, it's funny to think that you know Arsenio was the original voice for Winston in the Real Ghostbusters show for a time, hmm. maybe until the late '80s when he ended up getting the Arsenio Hall show. So, but um, third grade, I had a friend of mine. I, uh, second grade, I moved from uh, I moved towns from New Haven to Hamden, Connecticut. And I got into Catholic school, and second and third grade hit third grade. I, I meet a friend of mine around the block from where I used to live, where you've been to the house a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. And it was his house was in front of the bus stop. And this kid, his name was Vinny. I don't remember his last name, and he was kind of slow. And I wouldn't say he was slow, like there was something wrong with him, but he wasn't there. And I wouldn't say people made fun of him either, but. You know, he was a nice kid. And me and my friend Martin, you know, we used to hang out with him. And, and his family bought him everything. And he had all the Ghostbusters shit. So we'd all go over, me and Martin would go over his house to play Ghostbusters with him. And we would fucking wreck the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's yeah. like, he, you know, we, you put on a, you know, the poor kid, he was always one of those. It's almost like the, the, the diaries of a wimpy kid. It was the heavy kid. It's like, you can do anything you want to him. And he's still like, yeah. okay, I'm into it. And, you know, we would, we never made fun of him or anything like that. But we'd go over the house and, like, you know, my friend Martin wear the proton pack. I would keep the trap and the kid would have nothing. And he's like, okay, as long as people are over here to hang out, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we'd go into, like, uh, his room and, you know, he had one of those, the, you know, the, the closets that are built into the wall because the eaves are coming down. 
So, you know, you don't have enough room to stand on the second floor, so you build, like, a closet. Yeah, yeah. So you'd slide the door open, so we'd go into that closet, and we'd fuck the closet. Let's go, stand here! You know, like, it's, you know, and like all this kind of thing. And we're just destroying the fucking house, and get the pack! And we're throwing it in there. Slime, of course, so we're throwing slime. This is one of the toys they... You know, the toys themselves came with slime, so we're getting fucking slime everywhere, yeah, you know? And then the kid had an Ecto-1, so he let me borrow the Ecto-1, so I went home with this, and then I got to a big fight, because, like, Christmas Day, I was like, I want the Ecto-1, you sons of bitches. And like, <laughs> yeah, I have a you know? similar story. You know, having a temper tantrum. Or Not a, I have a temper tantrum story involving a real Ghostbusters toy. Okay, your turn. Those are my <laughs> Ghostbusters memories. And then there's also a Gary, isn't there, like, an episode of Different Strokes with Gary Coleman? Where he, um, they go into a haunted house and they're wearing the suits and all that. Oh, like yeah, you remember that? You, know, you remember that episode yeah, with the little redhead kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The redhead kid who shows up in Hey Dude and not Hey Dude, um, Salute Your Shorts and Terminator Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. I remember that episode. Yeah, I wanted to throw that in there before we got off the, uh, <laughs> you know, the episode. Different. My shows. episode involving a temper tantrum and a Ghostbusters toy is. I wonder if everyone has it. We should we should have like a, a focus group. Or what, like a, what was your temper tantrum involving a Ghostbusters? Toy? Yeah, send us in, please. Uh, I believe Facebook that, us, message us. I believe, to my recollection, we went to go see Young Guns. Wow! In the theater. Okay. And then afterwards, we went to a store that was probably like a Montgomery Ward, or you know, like a department store where it wasn't a toy store, but they had a toy section. And they had, I remember if you remember the toy, but there was like a helicopter cycle thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the toy. Yeah. And they had it, and I wanted it. And I was like, Mom, can I get this? And my mom was like, well, how much is it? And it didn't have a price tag on it. She's like, go up and ask somebody how much it is. And I was a little kid, so I didn't want to go up and ask. So uh, I was like, oh, okay. And I just put it away. I didn't want to go up and ask because I was a shy kid. Then in the car on the way home, my mom turns to me and says, you know, if you asked how much it was, I would have gotten it for you. Oh, so she was like putting you to the test. It was like a little, yeah, like a and psychological I clip. lost my shit. <laughs> Tried to open the door while the car was going, that kind of a thing. I remember I was, and we went to my grandmother's house after, and my, grand, my grandfather had a stroke when I was really little, so they kind of lived on the basement floor which was redone and had a kitchen and everything so it was really like a two-story house and that like both stories were totally livable and i went upstairs and i just cried and screamed and i was like banging the floor <laughs> i was like i hate you hyperventilating <laughs> <laughs> and that was probably the worst i ever tantrum like i because i wasn't really to my recollection i wasn't that much of a tantrumer oh i but i, I but I lost it. Wow. I was so upset. So what happened? Nothing. I never, oh, okay. I never you never got, got it. it. Oh, okay. I thought they were going to... But luckily, know. in a weird way, luckily, my I had cousins that lived uh, down the Jersey Shore. My grandmother lived in Philadelphia. So my aunt would just kind of like leave toys at my grandmother's house for like them for my cousins to play with when they came. And so there was just like this stash of Ghostbusters toys eventually. And that was in there. So I got to, and I was at my grandmother's house every day, you know, so I got to play with it. I got to play with it even though I didn't own it. You're like, I don't care. Uh, Yeah, I remember that. 
I, I, it's the I, most embarrassing. I, you know, I used to have a couple tantrums, and you think now it's like, Jesus, you're such a little asshole. But like, you know, my friend Martin, again, to bring him up, he tells me stories we'd be in the toy store. I'm like, Ma, can I get this? And my mom would just openly slap me in the head and then take me out and drag me out of the store. And he'd be like, oh, my God. But I remember having a tantrum once where um, the, the second generation of Transformers came out right after the movie. And it, one of the, it was the one that they had this huge playset for the Decepticons, which was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay. And it would turn into like a, uh, it was like a, uh, a base. You know, they had a good guy one and a bad guy one, and the bad guy one was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And it was like you put batteries in its tail and it would walk. And this thing was like probably like, I don't know, say two feet high off the ground. And I fucking wanted it. And we went to the toy store for some reason. Hey, let's just go to the toy store and look. You know, and we, <laughs> and we went in there, it was there. And I remember it was $50. Yeah. $50 in like a lot of money back then. 1987, 86 is a lot of money. And I was like, I want that. And I, freaking all day long we went i forgot why we left the toy store i have a feeling it was around easter or something like that it was a holiday we went out and we were driving and i was just the whole fucking time to the and to the point to shut me up they brought me back and i and i got the damn thing and i think about now like how embarrassing like i had my parents like you think now like you if you're living paycheck to paycheck or you know you have children and then you're dropping that amount of money like the the equivalent of that is probably like nowadays it's like like i probably wanted like a 200 dollar toy yeah you know, my dad got me this, you know, it's like getting me like a race car set. I got this damn thing. I played the shit out of it and I still have it somewhere, but it's like, yeah, I didn't yeah. need it. You know, it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, just to shut the kid up, you know. So, uh, <laughs> damn. Yeah. One, Enough. One's just going to end. <laughs> so, uh, so we're talking Transformers 1984. <laughs> Very good. It's all, uh, bring all right, us back. steer this baby back on yeah, track. Yeah, yeah, talking to us about having us being so Ghostbusters, kids. summer of 84. Just fucking giant movie. Giant movie summer. This uh, movie was a giant. This, this of course. Directed was, by uh, Ivan Reitman. Yeah. Who had uh, produced a lot of classics. And yeah. a lot of people don't realize this. He's but, Jewish. <laughs> I, I, if, I'm, people might realize that. Oh, okay. But uh, that he produced Cronenberg's first two movies. I didn't even know that. Shivers and Rabbit. Why would he? Why, uh, they were both Canadians. They were both trying to make it in the. There's film that business. Canadian connection again because this movie has a lot of Canadian connections for obvious reasons. Yeah, Second City. So Dan people Aykroyd, think of him as know. being like you know comedy because he did go on and uh, you know produce uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. He produced great movie <laughs> Beethoven. Be- he produced Beethoven. Martin uh, Howard Stern's Private Parts. When are we ever going to talk about Beethoven again? This is the dog movie Beethoven. You told me, is it true? Maybe that- we should do that as a, as a show. Yeah, because we'll do that. Our episode to what's his face to um, Charles Grodin. Charles the Charles, Charles Grodin double feature. No, we'll do have to do a triple feature. We'll have to do your Midnight Run because you love Midnight Run. Runs, I love Midnight. Run. We'll do Beethoven and then I love King Kong. The yeah. Daniel Day Daniel Day Lewis, the Dino De Laurentiis, Jeff Bridges and version, Rosemary's Baby. And Grodin's, in, yeah, he's he's like the the, he's the OBGYN. He's the OBGYN, maybe or yeah, he's like the young doctor she goes to because she doesn't trust the old doctor. Yeah, and then he's in he's in it too. Spoiler alert! Um, and he directed a movie, a do- documentary about Simon and Garfunkel. A lot of people don't know that one. It, it's you know it's <laughs> it's funny because he had like a second. You think about he you know he's always. You know, he's, he's been acting. He's in The Great Muppet Caper. He's in a crap load of movies. Yeah, yeah. But his heyday was like 70s, 80s. And then in the 90s, he got into like doing like, he had like a talk show on like one of the cable news channels. And then on, uh, I listened to CBS News Radio on uh, AM. And he has like a little segment that sometimes comes on there. And um, 
I met him at my job, and you know he's older now, and and you forget because the last time I've seen him was probably you know the last movie he did, maybe Beethoven. So it's like to see him like <laughs> yeah. in his seventies and like he's an older. It's like like uh, what's his face? Um, who's the guy from uh, Nine to Five? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman has always been. Dabney Coleman, and then suddenly, like he's gotten old now, and he stopped acting for a while, and then he came back, and he I saw him like in Domino. In, he and, pops in, pops you know, up and stuff. Now. But he's older now, so it's like it's funny. So when I saw Groden, I was like almost helping him on set. And he's like, you know, he's like probably middle seventies. He's losing his hair, and I'm like, Jay, just well, you he got always. Old. He had, he's one of those guys that's notorious for wearing a piece even back in the day. Yeah, he had a baseball cap on when I met him. He had no mustache, so I didn't trust him because I only trust him with a mustache. Um, some odd reason, <laughs> but um. So we're talking about Charles Groden. So, <laughs> so we're talking about Beethoven. Beethoven is it? Did you? Beethoven. Is it true that John Carpenter wrote the script? You know, of John I should have asked him that when I interviewed him for yeah. the book. It would have been completely left field. But I've always heard this weird rumor that John Carpenter wrote the movie Beethoven, and he wrote under, it under a pseudonym, under, right? Under a pseudonym. Because he didn't want to, or I don't know if he didn't want to, but he was just, you know, he he had an inkling to write a movie about I don't a dog. Know if that's true. That was a rumor that started when, or at least that we heard when we. It, in college was the first time we heard that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's we're we're at the age now where we have these these theories that we think are fact, and then when you actually are pressed on, you're like, wait a minute. Like this week, uh, as of this recording, you had tweeted something about the Iger sanction. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, Eastwood did his all all his own stunts in that movie because a, a climber died, something filming like right at the beginning, and it was like. It freaked everybody out because it was like right where Eastwood was, and Eastwood moved. The climber got in the position, a rock fell, hit him, and he died. And I'd heard that Eastwood did all his own stunts. If you see the movie, he looks like he's doing all his own stunts. But then yeah. when you said it, I sat there. I was like, wait a minute. That information is like 20 years old whenever I read it in like, you know, eighth grade. <laughs> so like I went back to just verify. And yeah, it's true. He did his own all his stunts. But then you think about like, oh, who told me? Like my dad could have told me that. Yeah, he, uh, he did his own stunts. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, that movie. You see, you're watching this movie. Yeah, you see this here? Yeah. He did all his yeah. own stunts. Yeah, he turned white for this movie. And then he went back. You know, so it's, it's you know, so sometimes you're like, wait a minute. Maybe that's not actually true. Yeah, is that true? I t I've told myself that for so long. It, it, you Somehow know. we got on this weird tangent about Charles. Groen. Because we're talking about Beethoven, and you talked about Ivan. Oh, Ivan Wright. That was the yeah, that was the clear. That was the, yeah, and we started talking about yeah, Charles Groden, <laughs> <laughs> Daphne Coleman, and Charles Groden's piece. So, but so Ivan Reitman, I directed this baby. Yeah, um, and I always I think that he the fact that he. Produced some of Cronenberg's early films as an interesting little factoid. Yeah, especially for people who are Cronenberg fans like yourself. Yeah, like so yeah. you know he wasn't. He also produced that movie Heavy Metal. Yeah, and a lot of the the, the people who worked the, the the I think the conceptual artists who worked on Ghostbusters who also were people who ended up working. They were like on uh, I think Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, Richard Edlund. The special effects guy, he did Star Wars and Poltergeist. Yeah. But a lot of these people, they brought over from Heavy Metal and these other movies, so he must have had, you know, it's, if they're going from project to project and they're liking the people, you you, you develop a little troop. Yeah, And yeah. you say, hey, come on over. Well, that's how, you know, that's how he got in with, uh, I mean, Harold Ramis and that he, uh, you know, he also directed Animal, he directed Animal House, Stripes. Uh, Harold Ramis. Well, Reitman directed Stripes. Okay. But Harold Ramis and Bill Murray are in Stripes. Yeah. Um, and then they they co-write on. I thought they they wrote a little bit. No, did they might have written Stripes? Ramis? I don't know who wrote, who wrote Stripes. Very well could because then you know Ramis went on. He directed Vacation. Yeah, National Lampoon's Vacation. Which he directed he just, Caddyshack. He had just done. I think before this, maybe prior he also to this. directed Caddyshack. So, I yeah. mean, so this is like at the time we're talking about like a dream team. Yeah, of, of like comedy. Because yeah. then you have coming off a. Of, 
you know, success with Saturday Night Live. You got Dan Aykroyd and the Blues Brothers movie. Yeah. And then you have uh, Animal know, House. Bill Murray. So this is like, and they're all coming from like Second City. All the performers are coming yeah. from Second City. Even, even uh, John Candy. Yeah, but even but Rick even Moranis. yeah, but even Rick Moranis was in Second City. So you have all these Second City these Canadian troops. Yeah, you know, come and then you know, of course, some do Saturday Night Live, some and then do Saturday Night Live, and SCTV. they break off to movies, and then they start doing with uh, Jim Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, do a couple movies, and then you know, you think about this era of comedy where you know you have like Rick Moranis, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, you can throw in there. You have. Um, uh, Bill Murray. So in a way, know. in a way, Ghostbusters is like the Expendables. Had the Expendables been directed in like in 1989? <laughs> yeah, okay. You know what I yeah, mean? it's like it's all you get. All everybody in there. Instead of it been like know. it's been it's far past their prime, and you got all these stars together. You got like all you got this like dream team of comedy, both behind the scenes and in front of the screen. And they're looking to yeah, they're looking for this this vehicle to do, and they end up doing this uh this 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 movie which. Is written a lot of it's written for other people. Yeah, well, Dan Aykroyd, uh, I don't, I don't think it's a secret. I mean, he's got this fascination with like the paranormal and and stuff. So he wrote uh, the first script. Yeah, he was reading an, uh, an article in American Society of uh, Psychological Research Journal, and, and uh, you know he's a big fan of the the old classic like Ghost, uh, Ghost Chaser movies. There's a great Bowery Boys movie called um, uh, Ghost Chasers, and there's another one. Uh, there's a, a couple of Abbott Costellos and, you know, and it, even there's a uh, Lonesome Ghost, which we talked about. And I think it was the Disney cast on the, uh, on the Black Hole. I think it was the Black Hole, yeah. We talked about that, that Disney short called The Lonesome Ghost, where it's from like 1936 or 7, where it's the, it's uh, Mickey Mouse, it's... Uh, Daffy. Uh, I mean, Donald. Donald. And Daffy, like... Uh, wrong company. And was it blue? I think it's goofy. Goofy, yeah. They're, they're ghost chasers, and they go to this house. The ghosts yeah. are bored. They call them up, and then they're investing in this old house. Because I remember, you know? I think it came up because I had it, and then I you had like the, the book on tape, you know, like the oh, storybook with accompanying tape. I was thinking it was the turn the page, the film, the filmation thing. Turn the page <laughs> when you hear the tone. Yeah, turn the page. <laughs> uh, so yeah, all those elements, and then uh, yeah, Dak, Dan Aykroyd is into is into the paranormal and stuff, and uh, he's also a big UFO guy. Yeah, you know, uh, well, I think it all plays into it. And then, if I'm not mistaken, he originally wrote it as a vehicle for him and Belushi. Yeah, Does they were going to do. Right to you? Yeah, it was going to be this whole weird thing where it was going to be um, him uh, interdim- interdimensional, where the two of them were going to be like. Uh, he kind of wrote it like where it's like you're in a, in a in another world where it's like there's paramedics and there's firemen who kind of go to these situations and take care of these ghosts, and they're able to like jump around interdimensional and fight these big monsters like the Stay Puft Mar- Marshmallow Man. And they have wands kind of instead of yeah. the proton packs. And they're using... And it, it was, and it was like a huge, elaborate, special effects-driven kind of a script. And, you know, Dan Aykroyd, who usually... He wrote the Blues Brothers. He'll, his first draft will be like a phone book. Yeah. So, you know, they, he, he had this idea. And um, they were looking at first to do a, a Hitchhiker's Guide. An adaptation of that BBC property, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and um, Harold Ramis, and then they were like thinking of like putting the two of them in it, uh, Ackroyd and maybe Belushi, and then Belushi ended up passing away while they were in pre-pro for this movie, and they also, I think Harold Ramis took it with, I think, um, 
Reitman and they kind of like reworked and they did yeah, a second version. Yeah, I think version Reitman, you know, was was oh, interested in it or attached to it at the time, and he took it to Ramis and said, um, you know, I think this movie has potential, but it needs work. The yeah. script has potential; it needs work. And then, um, you know, Ramis has co-author credit, but I think like he rewrote it probably a lot uh, with Reitman. Yeah, and, and they kind of reworked it into the script that we have. And it, the movie is. It was originally going to be like three main characters. It was going to be John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and surprisingly Eddie Murphy. And they were going to like, again, fight ghosts. They're going to be in SWAT outfits kind of a thing. Uh, and they were going to use like these wands. And uh, the big vehicle was they were pushing to get Eddie Murphy in it. And Eddie Murphy's role was going to be sizable. He was going to play Winston in it. And um, his role was going to be bigger in the original movie, even going when they rewrote it to then be what we know now. Eddie Murphy was still kind of attached to be in it. And his role was going to be where he was going to be like a like a night watchman at the, I guess the firehouse and that's how he gets aboard. And then uh, you learn a little bit about him. And I like the interesting thing was, which like a lot of the, how cool the cartoon show was, they picked up a lot of the, on the elements. Like one of the, the subplots that kind of gets dropped is this romantic relationship between Janine and Egon. Yeah. And they developed that a lot on the cartoon show. And then another thing was that like the original concept for Winston's character that his dad was going to be like in construction. So there's an episode of the cartoon where they go to like his father's construction company and there's ghosts on the construction site, and his father's like, you shouldn't have became a ghostbuster. You should have stayed in the family business. <laughs> yeah. you know. But then uh, as they go on, I guess Eddie Murphy ends up having contact, contractual obligations with, Eddie, uh, with Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. So he has to drop out for whatever reason, and uh, they have to then put somebody else in. But at the same time, then they were writing um, the Rick Moranis character uh, with John Candy in mind. Uh-huh. And John Candy, they released there's storyboards where they've released storyboards of him like he was going to be like a conservative businessman living next door to her. And uh, so for the storyboards that they thought John Candy was cast. So they were drawing the storyboards looking like John Candy, like a like a little like heavier man. Yeah. And there's a couple scenes that they never, of course, shot or there's like one where he becomes um, taken over and he's going through Central Park and he like walks and this is all cool. It's in storyboard form where he walks like into it, like under a tunnel and there's like guys there, like punks, you know, smoking something. They walk up to him. They're like, you know, give us your money, man. And they have like a knife. It's very much like Terminator. Yeah. For, and he's like, Washed I <laughs> Yeah. Nothing clean. Right. You know, he's nothing clean. Right. Uh, and, uh, John Candy says like, you know, I'm the, I'm the, what is he? I'm the, key key, he, I'm the key master. Are you, will you, will you let me pass? And they're like, you know, give her something he's like are you barring me he says it again and then finally he says are you barring me from passing and they're like yeah we're barring you and then his evidently his eyes start glowing and his mouth opens and he sends out this weird you know ray of light and then it cuts to like an extreme long shot of the tunnel and you see the punks like run out and it's all bright and you know so yeah. but then i guess john they didn't like john candy's idea he started sending them ideas of what he wanted the, the this this character to be where he wanted two dogs with the, the like dobermans or something and then they were like well that'll be weird be weird because there are demon dogs in the movie we don't have too many dogs then he says he wanted to have like an accent he wanted to play it like a german or some weird you know yeah. and they're like no we don't like that either man you know we're just trying to so he ends up just do it the way we want yeah man. and he's like <laughs> you know he's like no so he ends up leaving and uh 
you know, he ends up doing other things. He, he ends up doing what, like, in that time, he, he does, like, three or four movies. There's, like, Vacation. He does, yeah, like... Yeah, well, he has, like, you know, seven movies come out in 85. Yeah, I mean, like, around that time, he's doing Summer Rental. He's doing, uh, he's doing what maybe Dangerous. He's doing, like, Volunteers. He's doing, like, a whole... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Splash is, like, I think, 84 yeah, as well. he was busy. Yeah, he's so... So he it, he leaves, and then they, they end up casting Rick Moranis, and Rick Moranis, they... they redo the part it's you know he turns it into like a health food a health nice uh, rick moranis is so good in this he movie. steals he steals that you forget how funny all his stuff is and, and like you know everybody talks about in this movie how you know they ended up casting mel bill murray in the uh jim belushi character but they talk about how his stuff was all ad-libbed and you know and then you know there's a lot of contention with people about Bill Murray, even to the point on Saturday Night Live when, when uh, you know, uh, they, they there's the story where Chevy Chase left and came back to host, and then Dan Aykroyd and, like, Jim Belushi got Bill Murray so riled up about Chevy Chase that in the green room they started a fist fight or something. So, like, you know, everyone's always, I don't know why they don't want to give Bill Murray credit for stuff, maybe because they think he's an asshole or yeah. he's tough to work with. So... As much as people say, like, you know, almost all of his lines are ad-libbed, then there's other people say, you know, his lines being ad-libbed are debatable, you know, exclamation point, you know, so there's like a contention there of it, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's like interesting. But Rick Moranis, a lot of his movies, evidently a lot of his lines were all ad-libbed in this, which it sounds hilarious if that's true. Rick Moranis is so, he's so, he's so good. Yeah, you know, (laughs) he really does kind of like. I don't know. In a lot of ways, like he kind of makes the movie for me. Yeah, I mean, he just—you don't expect him, and it's just so funny. And especially if you're, if you're, he's like listening gonna, to his he's stuff. Like, you know, you should come over. We're going to play Twister. We're going to do some break dance. Yeah, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell people you're coming. So you're going to. She's like, maybe I'll tell people you're coming. You know, that'd be fun. You know, oh, he's like, I'm ordering vitamins, and you know, and, he, and he's the accountant. And I think the scene where he he's in his apartment. And those people knock on the door and they come in and he walks them through. Yeah, I, I think that's all ad libbed. Where he's talking about, yeah, this is you know, Mister, Mrs. Johnson. You know, he uh, oh, yeah. he's an accountant. He has a thirty thousand dollar loan, nineteen percent <laughs> that he's paying off, but he's pretty well in the bank. They got yeah. to thinking on it. She's know, got some. Uh, she's got some assets. Settlement that she's, that she's working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's working on a second settlement. And then he's like talking to the person, like, see these vitamins? They cost the close to me. They cost twenty, but I got them for fourteen dollars wholesale. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and it's and it's very ahead of his time because he's talking about. Um, he says something to her about uh, like low. What does he say? He says something about low sodium, low he, mineral water. Yeah, he's yeah. like, yeah, he's like, uh, why don't you come over and I'll give you some low sodium mineral water? You know, like that. It's really good for you. And uh, and she's like, yeah, I know, you know. And it's it's just it's just funny, you know. His, yeah, his the whole, thing about Bill Murray's character is really interesting because like. It's one of those parts where, I mean, I guess because it's Bill Murray, you kind of like him, but it's, it's it's a phenomenon. He's kind of an asshole. Yeah, and like it's, from the very beginning, like he's fucking like coming on to one of his students, which is kind of slimy. He's really no pun intended. And you're rooting, you're rooting for me, which is oh, funny. I don't, I, that scene, I don't root. But for But I feel like people were like when I was little, I thought that girl was so. I mean, she still is well, beautiful. Yeah, well, you know, but you're and he's really laying it as to an the adult, uh, though. I don't. Yeah, I wasn't anyway. Watching it this time around, yeah, as a. You know, as a kid, yeah. I mean, I, she, that blonde was in a lot of stuff back then. And I wonder how, um, you know, how like how that and was. She, and she's just, he's just buzzing the kid. Yeah, and, know, and, and that's a the kid. And that's evidently a real test. Where this this test used to be back in the '60s, where you take it, and it was it was to, it was a test to see how far you'd go along with being ordered to do stuff. And I think the test was where the scientists would have the subject then be shocking people they don't know. 
and the shocks were getting more increasing. And then that was the test was how long would you listen to, would you be obedient to authoritative yeah. figures? So, and it, he's like a complete douchebag, but this goes back to two things. His, his acting in this movie is kind of like Gene Wilder and in, in really Willy Wonka. Well, it's like, yeah. you know, is he, you know, you have to get a guy likable to be, cause he's such yeah. an asshole. Well, you know, that's, that's something that I never really thought about so much until, and of course, in typical Saturday Night Movie sleeper fashion, I don't remember the name of the movie. But <laughs> there's a movie that came out within the last ten years um, that was like written by or kind of based on a real tabloid, tabloidy type writer reporter, and it was about like how he became like a very in in the in crowd because of that like, Truman Capote. No, it was like somewhat recent, like yeah. tabloid. You know, like yeah. more like you know, more like a like what's his face more current. Yeah, than yeah, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it was based on a book that like he had Perez written. Hilton kind of a that thing? he written. Yeah, but uh, and so this guy wrote a book about his life and how he became like the in guy and um, in in Hollywood and stuff just by you know I guess rubbing elbows and then scratching people's backs you know like write good things about some people write bad things about them but very trashy and but inevitably because of the, what he is like the character is not likable yeah so i saw this movie but he's but he, is he supposed to be no well no he's just like or is what, it just your you know this is your well, in the it, you know it's funny because it stars simon Pegg yeah as the character and so i watched like the special features after i had watched it this is years and years and years ago and the director's like you know here's the thing i'm like he's not a likable character so we had to get somebody that you just like to play him or else you don't care about them. And they're like, so we try to think of like who's kind of current and hot that you the people just like. You just like them when you see them. And they're like, so we said Simon Pegg. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know what? You're totally right. Like that character is an asshole. But I didn't really think anything about it because I like Simon Pegg. Yeah. Um, also, like uh, Megan Fox is in that movie and Jeff Bridges is in that movie. Jeff Bridges plays like the guy who owns the news, the magazine that he writes for or something. Anyway, so that was the first time where like that entered my mind of like, oh yeah, like you can alleviate like the pressures of, of having a character in a script, you know, in script form. That's not just like inherently not likable by casting it correctly, by casting somebody that you just, like 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 Gene Wilder and like Willy Gene Wonka. Wilder and Willy Wonka and in this case I guess Bill Murray because even like when they're in the library and he got he's got the slime on his hands from like collecting the sample he's like rubbing it all over I know the, he's rubbing it on li- the, the library books and you're like I was like what the fuck oh, man you're such a <laughs> douchebag but it's I was like, like those are like I know it's supposed to be kind of funny but now that you and I are getting like kind of old and crotchety yeah we're, we're like that's not funny at all that's gonna <laughs> that's, a, gonna, that's a perfectly good library yeah, people book. are gonna have to clean that you know <laughs> yeah exactly Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, don't rub it on the line. What are you doing, man? But he 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 comes in. He's the character we're supposed to identify with. He's the cool guy. Um, He's and and the other funny thing about him is that like let's just put it you know let's just call you know put it on the table. He's not an attractive guy. Well, he goes to my Tom Atkins rule where anybody could be a guy like him. I mean, he's charming. So you can. I think it's because he's so charming and kind of likable that you could believe. But is he charming or he just he just comes off as um, not does, in real life? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, I as hear in real character. life he's a really nice guy. He shows up and does things. But as these characters that he tends to play in these movies, he comes off like douchebags. And he has like this real smart ass, you know, I'm, 
I'm a cool guy and you're a fucking idiot. You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah. a thing. So we're, he, we're automatically identifying him. I think the audience is supposed to be, he's the cool guy. Yeah. You know, so is the movie like a, a, about him? You know, we're following him, his journey. Th- well, I think he is. I he, think you're right. I think he is like the audience's, you know, the character we're supposed to identify. He's the first one we see. Ray and Egon are very scientific and, and actually have very small parts in the movie in comparison. Yeah. Um, they're really like, in terms of like screen time and what they accomplish within the script, are very much sidekicks yeah. to his character. And all this had to have been done on purpose. When they took the rewrite, they went up to, like we said, they went to Martha's Vineyard and they did a rewrite, uh, Ackroyd and Ramis, and, uh, which took them like two, two or three months in 1982 and they came up with this script and they must have set it up that they wanted, and this this is after Jim uh, Belushi had died. Yeah. So they had, had revamped the thing, and that is another reason why their original idea of being interdimensional and being in SWAT team outfits and them being firefighters or paramedics, why they leave the element of the firehouse. Yeah. There was that you know they're responding to stuff like that, and uh, at first the Ecto one was supposed to fly and go interdimensional, come out of the roof of the firehouse, and like whoa, whoa, whoa that's like that's gonna be too much <laughs> whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah. bring whoa. it down again, bring it down a bit, baby. <laughs> So, but they, it must have been a very conscious choice to have Bill Murray be the, I don't know, the good-looking guy, but he's certainly the ladies' man. He's taking advantage, like he's he's basically you know taking advantage of this college student, you know, at the beginning of the movie. He's certainly ruining this test, but then he's not like a flake because uh, I don't know if it's part of a deleted scene, but later on he does when he goes to meet Sigourney Weaver again at uh, Lincoln Center. And she, you know, they talk about her being a classic, a classical musician. He does know stuff. He's like, you, you sounded the best in your row. And she's like, oh, I'm surprised you even had an ear for that. And he knew certain things, so he watched well, the rehearsal. There is a little so bit like of a that cultured, in the movie, and she's like basically calling him on his shit. Yeah, him and he's a cultured guy. And my point is, he he has a degree in psychiatry. He has a degree in like Paris paranormal so masters, and so yeah, he's like, yeah. he's not just a guy who's like. Uh, slipping by to get the grade and cheating off people maybe yeah. he did in college we don't know if that's a prequel but like you know <laughs> he, he, movie. he's a smart guy who has these degrees and he's part of this this it's it's, it's at, they shot it at columbia but it's not supposed to be columbia university all the all the stuff but they set they start the movie up being really serious for 1984 where it's like these guys who have a grant to be doing this um uh, investigation into paranormal activities and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray. And Bill Murray's there, and and it's like he's invalidating these tests they're doing by like just shocking the kid even when he's right. You know, and he's just trying to get some ass from the girl. And <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. You know, he meets. So then they get called on this library, and I remember when I was little, the opening scene. It's funny you see they pull back on the library. The library's under construction because in the '80s everything was getting redone in New York. Hence, we did a Remo Williams cast Remo, and yeah, and I the know, Empire I was State looking, Building. And I was. Uh, I'm very very upset that Statue not, of Liberty was that um, not a lot of people have downloaded, downloaded the Remo and listened our, we, hey, our, our, I'm upset <laughs> Williams a cast. lot of people haven't downloaded the Trial of the Incredible Hulk cast because we did that when the, the Daredevil Netflix series came out and I thought that was a pretty good cast a lot of those older ones that we have a lot of older casts on the uh, on the site that that we and think it's understandable you know, that people are that are that yeah they're are only finding the site they're starting with the new ones but if you go well, we got the some, list we got some classes yeah, you might find some big trouble in little China gets a lot of talk yeah, on, yeah. on our Facebook page we did it, that was one of the first ones we did yeah, but not so much China. like you know Mind Warp you know Bruce Campbell's Mind Warp we did yeah well we kind of knew that that was going to be iffy you know or Trial of the Incredible Hulk Trial of the Incredible Hulk's big deal Remo Williams Flash Pilot the Flash Pilot the 1990 show you know. 
we have Towering Inferno is an old great one. We have... Um, but Remo Williams is like... That is sleepover gold right there. Yeah, and in and, and that one, the Statue of Liberty, which becomes a big set piece in the movie, that was when it was 86, it was under construction. They yeah. were doing like that stuff. Remo. So anyway, in Remo. So in this movie, you start off on the, 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 the library on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. And I remember this opening scene terrified me. Yeah. Like, you know, how scary it was the... the, the uh, the, the woman the who cameos, the librarian who goes down, and you see all the books, uh, the, the uh, cards, the ca- index around. cards are flying around. And then finally, when they get there and the build up to, like, you know, there's some, they, they, they left some goop, the slime, and then they see the apparition, how scary that apparition was. And it's funny that the style of the apparition, the Phantom, is very much in the vein of the Spielberg. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, poltergeist. Like you said, the guy uh, Richard England, who was the one of the like the kind of the supervisor of the effects. I mean, these guys did poltergeist. Edling, Edling, yeah, Edlund. I got I got England. Oh, I got E D L U N D. I got E N G. Oh, L U N D. Okay, well, whatever we have there, <laughs> it could be could be two different people. But yeah, could they be. just came but, off a of poltergeist, so you have those. Those looks where you have, like, um, I think they kind of started it on um, Close Encounters where you have the door, behind the door, all the light coming out, which is nothing of another vehicle they use with the closet and poltergeist. But I love the idea, and I hope no one steals it from it because I'm going to plan to do this, is the idea of when you see a specter, no one calls them specters anymore, the reverse of the person seeing it, you could see, like, the light being cast on them. And I love that idea. Like, and that's very much like Poltergeist, where you have, yeah, yeah. you know, nowadays you see your ghost movies like The Conjuring 2. They're just, like, crazy figures in a dark room, and the people are living in a house that looks like yeah, they should be condemned. in the 80s, they were glowing. They were glowing. And, I, and, and that's also, I think that's like in Lady in White. There's a lot of movies where even maybe Ghost Story, where the, the ghosts, yeah, they, they end up glowing. And I find that such a great device. But I remember her being so freaky, you know? And then yeah. it... So much more of going to like Bill Murray kind of being a debatable asshole in this movie. They're like, go make contact with her. And she's reading a book and he tries to say something and she goes, shh. So it's like, it would lead me to believe, okay, be quiet and talk to her. Try That's to, a know. library. Yeah. So yeah, she's trying be to be quiet. It's not like she's saying like, you know, fuck me or something crazy, <laughs> you know? So it's like, just try to talk to her quietly. But then he's like, hello. And then of course she's going to turn into this very big, scary monster, which I guess originally as well, the, the original monster they did was too scary, they thought. So they kind of dumbed it down not to be as scary, and they ended up using that monster in Fright Night a couple years later, a scarier this yeah. monster, because I guess they didn't want these things to be too scary. But for me, it's funny seeing all this stuff now because this was all very scary at the time, and I guess maybe it was the hype of going to see it, and it's going to be a big-budget movie, and it's going to be a ghost movie. So you, like, the scene when Sigourney Weaver comes home and like you know, she puts her groceries out and the eggs start to fry. Yeah, it's creepy. It's, it's all creepy. creepy. And they do all that practical effects where they're, the shit's popping out. And then you know she opens the fridge and it's another dimension. All that's so scary. you know. And it's great. Scorny Weaver looks absolutely gorgeous in this role because we'd only been seeing her like in you know, Alien, you think of her, or other things. So to see her as like the, this tall, gorgeous female lead in a comedy, it's very funny. And it's also funny that this movie's a comedy. Because it can be very straight. They play it straight, but it goes back to like the Abbott and Costello Ghostbusters or ghost, you know, kind of like yeah. those kind of chase movies. Um, yeah. For me, watching it this time, like this, like, like we kind of said earlier, this is a movie that's seen a million times back in the 80s. And then I probably really haven't seen it since. Yeah. I probably went at least most of the 90s, if not the entire 90s without seeing it. And I definitely haven't seen it in the 2000s. 
So there was this fear going into it this time around where I was like, I wonder how it holds up. Because I know you had said that you had rewatched it a couple years ago and it was questionable well, how, uh, how much it holds up. It's the same thing with you. It's like I, wa- I hadn't seen it since 85 or 6 or 7, you know, because I by that time was either watching the second one or watching just the cartoon, you know, because yeah. it became its own other property where you can watch the cartoons, play with the toys, play with the, the action packs that you wear. And you didn't have to go back and watch the movie. And I watched it for the 30th anniversary in 2014. And I was just disappointed because I was like, oh, that was it. I, you know, it, there's no like, you know, nowadays you're kind of thinking there's going to be very like convoluted plots and yeah, there's yeah. subplots and there's other things and there's loose ends they need to tie up. And it was very much like A, B, C, D, here's the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's like, I was like, so I was like a little underwhelmed, which I guess now I look at it, it wasn't the movie's fault. It's like, I just had high expectations for what, yeah. you know. Yeah, just expecting something Yeah, else. but then when I watched it now, I was like pleasantly surprised. Like, okay, I'm on board. This is, I yeah, understand. Yeah, well, that was, that's where I was getting at. I was yeah. like, I hadn't seen it forever and I was like wondering. It wasn't like I was expecting it not to hold up. But I was like, I'm wondering how this is really going to hold up. And I thought it held up pretty well. Yeah. You know, and it's it's shocking how much of the movie you remember as you go, how quotable this movie is. Oh. Like, there's definitely are scenes where, like, I could have just started reciting dialogue. I yeah. mean, of course, there's, like, big lines, like, you know, some, you know, your somebody, toaster. Somebody blew their nose and you want to keep it. Was it because, like, yeah. you know, well, they, the they, idea of boogers, very, very kid, <laughs> kid. There's comedy. a lot of lines in here that they, like, all that, right, who brought the dog? Yeah. A lot of movies in here was, like, with the, uh, with Bill Murray, especially says, are things that became quotable. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and it kind of, like, make my day in the 80s. It became like a lot of people would say stuff, you know, like, oh, of course, like, the, beyond the who you're going to call, you know, that kind of a thing. But it's, it's funny to see, like, you know, whatever 30 years 25 years however many years it's been since i've seen it like how memorable it was as i was watching it like you might not remember it off the top of your head but as you're watching it as the story's progressing like oh yeah the next scene is this this line is coming up i remember that line it was like when we did Ernest saved christmas Oh yeah, yeah. And I was thought like, of it for how many years? Yeah, and then you're like, and when then he you says re- the air brakes, you're, like, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, air brakes. That was that. a big. That was a big line. Yeah, it was in the preview. That was like a very memorable, like kind of quotable thing. It was a bit of a thing. Um, so this movie was very much that way for me. It was very kind of like uh, pleasantly surprising, um, just like almost like comforting and a very nostalgic. Yeah. Like sleepover movie, you know, the reason why we do this cast and for mother excuse me, for the most part, is out of like this childhood nostalgia. So this movie was like a very much like delivered on that for me as we wa- as we watched it. It was like, oh yeah, it was like kind of comforting in that way. Um the effects are great. I love, you know, like the matte stuff and you know, some of like the dogs running around kind of well, did you hear the idea where I think the the copy we watched, the um, Ramus said, or even Ivan Reitman said that whenever they tr- they did the DV- the laserdisc transfer, when they did the transfer, when they tried to like I guess semi remaster it, they brought yeah. the light levels up, and because of that, you're then able to see a lot of the matte lines, yeah. And then like the scenes where the dogs are crossing the street, it's so bright, yeah. You're almost, and that was I think a thing you'd see with the original tra- uh, Star Wars movies where you'd see like the, yeah. The square of around the the, the say the the fight the, the X wing tie fighter, tie fighter you know yeah. so I wonder if the, on a Blu-ray copy of this that would have all been corrected you know that kind of thing but it's oh, or it, it could be worse yeah <laughs> oh yeah you know you're right because sometimes the, the, the when they do the these Blu-ray, Blu-ray transfers could, could be, be too much definition yeah um 
and so should it's... Have, you should have watched an old VHS. <laughs> you should have just put the old... But then you wouldn't have got this widescreen, you know? And it like, uh, it, it's, it's great widescreen. It's great for me. It's like, uh, you know... Now that we know New York, we, we live in New York, you know, we work oh, yeah. in New York City. It's, it's one of those movies it's, that's it's great to yeah. watch. Like, this is what New York looked like this in 84. Us growing up, you And know. even, uh, you know, towards the end, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man comes up. He walks down up Broadway. He's come walking up Broadway. Uh, right, there's, right there's the uh, Museum of, the, of uh, Art and Design. Yeah. Which has, has a, used to have, it still has a screening room, but they don't play good movies there anymore, unfortunately. Across uh, Columbus Circle, and that view uh, about to walk up West End is the view that we get from callback to an earlier episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers when Raphael comes out of the movie theater. Oh, for turn to for and as he walked, it was 1990. Yeah, and he comes walking out of the movie theater, he got the Critters poster behind him is Columbus Circle, so it's like. In a parallel universe. <laughs> the two of them would be walking by. <laughs> you know, like that's, he's kind of like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man would, in a couple of steps, be walking, walking right by them. that movie theater. And it's funny for me because I looked at it the, and I thought of the reverse. And if you remember the original uh, Miracle on 34th Street, when Natalie Wood's looking out the window, her, her apartment must be on Central Park West because she's looking up uh, uptown and she's looking da- at, what is that? That whatever Central Park West is there. Yeah. That street, Broadway maybe? Is that Broadway that's, that goes up that way? Well, such for that Central Park. Oh, yeah. West. She's looking up. Street. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. She's looking up there and then that's, and so that's like the reverse where he's walking up. And it's interesting when you get to the climax of the movie to think about what they shot on location than what they shot on a, on a set because when the, the street breaks and the car goes in, that's all, has to be a set but yeah. then they cut the long shots and you can kind of see that the the car is hanging out of a hole but they're they're in manhattan they're not yeah, you know yeah. you can see the trees and stuff so it's all really good um they also had ideas of in the pre-pro of gozer they were thinking of having gozer appears it actually being paul rubin aka Wee herman he was gonna when he appears at the end he was gonna just be a plain person in like a business suit like a real nonchalant suit saying are you a god all yeah. die and if you go look at the storyboards that they storyboarded it's all as like you know it doesn't look like paul rubin say but it's a thin guy yeah. in a nice suit and then he turns and you know shoots back the, the stuff so um it's interesting you know with our what if game there's like there's a bunch of more what ifs in this too you know you could have had eddie murphy as winston with in yeah. a sizable role but you know it's interesting because like i always heard that winston was gonna pl- that eddie murphy was planning to play winston and it explains like the only real reason why the character of winston exists because as stands, yeah, like the he plays no real purpose. Yeah, and it's dramatically. Sad. You know, and, and Ernie Hudson kind of says that in interviews. He said subsequently, he's like, you know, I don't, I'm just there in the movie because what ended up happening was once Eddie Murphy left, they had Bill Murray in play. They expanded Bill Murray's character and they brought down Eddie Murphy's. And the reason they justify, uh, I'm sorry, Eddie Ernie Hudson's, and the, the reason they justify him coming in. You know, in the second act, as opposed to earlier, is they want to show that they're so exhausted they need to pick up a fourth person and they bring Ernie Hudson in. But if you listen to Ernie Hudson's lines, aside from the conversation in the car with Dan Aykroyd, yeah. uh, all his lines are kind of like Eddie Murphy jokes. You know, he's, you know, he's like, if anybody says you're a god, you say yes. You know, or you know, there's another one he says, you know, like uh, about the Twinkie, you yeah, know, or yeah, what you know, they're going to turn Twinkie. stuff down. That you could see Eddie Murphy kind of saying that stuff. And uh, Ernie Hudson said, like, you know, I'm in there and I'm very grateful, but I'm not doing much there except just being there. But then I think his role is more bigger in the in the, yeah. the new one. Because as stands, the it second one, like that character. If they, really, if they didn't put that character in there, the movie wouldn't have changed all that much. No, he really doesn't do anything. He's not really saving the day or whatever. That would have been nice, you know. He comes in so late. Yeah. 
And, uh, you I mean, know, he's only got a handful of scenes and a handful of lines that even smaller, he's just standing there being a thing, you know, and there was a bigger thing where he was supposed to be like in the service and, you know, he was a whatever worker to show he has discipline and he's able to deal with this kind of thing, you know, a lot. And so it's interesting that what if game, if you had Eddie Murphy, you had Jim Belushi in Bill Murray's role and you had, uh, you had Paul Rubens as Gozer. You had John Candy playing the Lewis Tully, I think his name yeah. character. Uh, it would have been it would have been not a different movie but it would have been very different you know uh so the the movie goes on and it i think the special effects in it are so cool it's again pre cgi to a certain extent so a lot of the special effects you're seeing are like i probably done with computers to a basic extent but they're just matte painting super you know they're just um optical I don't, printing i would not be surprised if there's no computer stuff but you don't think movie. even like for just maybe you know for post production like you know at putting the elements together, maybe like blending the matte paintings. I don't know if they were yeah. using it for that then. I mean, we talked about that summer. We talked about Last Starfighter. Oh, yeah, that's like, really like the first revolutionary. Time. But um, at that point, what? You have Tron. Uh, when does Young Sherlock Holmes come out? 85, I'd say. You know, so like... They're I only dabbling I don't with, think they were really doing is there it any like Is there any CGI at all in uh, Return of the Jedi? Is there any kind of like... No, I don't think so. No, nothing with the effects? I don't you know, know, not that I know of. So it's all matte painting. So that's even cooler. It's all matte painting, practical like puppets. Yeah, it's all matte painting, you know? like animation, stop motion. I think. Yeah, and just they're just optically printing the image later and on. And that way, in you stuff. know, we've talked about this in previous casts. There's something about the look of that that's very comforting. Yeah, and very nostalgic. For yeah, our yeah. You know, and and, and uh, now, and especially since you bring up what we've talked about before, and we also bring up casts that people could go listen to. We did a great where we talked about John Candy in detail in the planes, trains, and automobiles cast we did. So if you want to, you know, hear us talk about John Candy and his comedic brilliance, you can go check that out. But, um, yeah, it's it's comforting, and it's weird, the ideas where they went with characters. Like, you take Slimer. They said the original concept of Slimer was they were calling him Onion Head because he was supposed to smell so bad. And there's a deleted scene where there's a, a honeymoon couple that had just, you know, consummated their marriage, and they're in the, the honeymoon suite, and they're like, like you know, like, you yeah, know like, it's before we actually see Slime. Yeah, it's like the what? Pr- it's the scene that like prompts them to call the, the hotel to call a Ghostbusters. You know, and it's them in bed together, and she's like, oh, you know, is that it? And he's like, I guess that's it. You know, like that kind of a thing. And you know, he looks like a like a uh, like a little guy. And he, you know, the guy in that scene, I think most people would even recognize him. I mean, it's a very tiny part, and he only yeah. played really tiny parts and things. Yeah, it's a very bit part for him. And in, but, yeah, like for it's him a eighties. Reco- it's a recognizable face. And he and he he goes into the bathroom, and then he's like, oh. And he runs out and the woman was like, what's wrong? And she goes in and then, you know, since the scene was never completed, finalized because it wasn't put into the movie, I don't think the effects are done. So all you get to really see is they must have had like an onset practical effect of like yeah, yeah. Slimer's glow on her. Because it's, the, because it's the scene that goes, you know, that prompts them to call. Maybe you weren't even ever supposed to see Slimer and the Slimer would have been a reveal. Yeah, I think that's what I think it is. Later on, came. it's just like you see the aura and the glow. Um but it, my point for all this was it's interesting the way they ended up designing Slimer. Slimer's really cool looking, and I don't think he gets his due in the movie as well. For me, like you look at the practical effect, like if you look at the stills, they actually built like a freaking huge yeah, Slimer yeah. that's big. And I don't, I think to a certain extent it is articulating, like it's a little puppet. Yeah. But a lot of them, they've built expressions on a Slimer, and you kind of get more of a reveal of what Slimer is properly almost like in the cartoon you yeah, know yeah. so in this movie they're kind of like hiding them and i don't think it's as good as it could have been but 
It's interesting they make Slimer look like that. I would have thought they could have made it look a little more demonic or a little more. And he's, it's funny because I guess on set they were calling him like the ghost of uh, John Belushi. Or, so, uh, and then when you look at his character, Slimer, Slimer's kind of like, ah, ah. You know, he's like, it's almost like he's like a three stooge. You know, he's, like, yeah, he's yeah. the ghost of like, you know, like freaking, uh, what's his face that we love? Uh, get out of the way. Oh, Joe yeah, he's like Joe Besser. He's like, he's like, ah, we got a lot of flack for you saying that nobody would know who Joe yeah, Besser people was. Got previous yeah, people were like, I know, like, I know who Joe Besser is, motherfucker. I was like, I'm sorry. Who didn't know? Who knew that you knew who Joe Besser was? Uh, if people don't know who Joe Besser is, uh, you know, tweet us because uh, there was a really funny joke. I forgot what cast we were in. Maybe it was like the Commando cast. It might have been Commando. <laughs> yeah. we're talking about. Um, but so he's just like, a, like he's like trying to eat. He's like, ah! He's like, yeah. he, almost like he knows he's, um, you know, he, he's like out and he's almost like a, he's only got a limited amount of time before they, they take him back, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when they have this big reveal of him, I, I remember this being, again, to put yourself the, the hat of 1984 on, I remember that being scary. You go in there, you don't really know what he is, and then that part where uh, he comes face-to-face with Bill Murray, and then he charges Bill Murray. That was all like, very suspenseful. I remember it being scary as a kid. I remember a lot of this movie being scary. Well, the whole, the movie was freaky, but I'm just saying now, it's like I think they could have, they must have known that they were catering it to children because I think they could have made, a, clearly they said the puppet they made for the librarian yeah. was too scary. They used up in, in 1985 on Fright Night. So I think for Slimer, they kind of made him kind of look semi-cartoonish. Well, look, I mean, it was a comedy, and it wasn't like a raunchy comedy. So it wasn't like they were going for an R rating. So at the same time, I'm sure from like a financial standpoint or the studio, that's like, why alienate anybody yeah. when we can get money? Exactly. You know, when like yeah. fam, like they look, know family. Even if it's a kid's it. price, the parents will pay X yeah. amount of dollars to, for for the kids, and that's more money. Um, and I think it started out being like maybe PG thirteen or whatever, and then they cut it down to be like I think it came out being like. Uh, I think a solid PG was this movie. Um, oh, it's got to be. I can't imagine that it's PG-13. I think for, at the, initially they wanted it to maybe be PG-13. I mean, isn't the whole thing like PG-13 didn't come around until... About Temple of Doomish. Which is around the same 84, summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so of what was happening. Might not have existed yet. Yeah, exactly. So there was, it's just a hard PG, you know. But, and, um, uh, but speaking of Slimer, I mean, we have to address... Just because I've heard recently that it, they reissued it because of the new movie. Ecto Cooler. Uh, yeah, they did. And we talked about it in a couple casts. Yeah, because um, people are uh, people are in love with Ecto Cooler, and I you talked about it. your this was this in the Commando cast as well. I think we brought up Ecto Cooler, and you talked about getting drunk off Ecto oh, yeah. Cooler. Ecto Cooler wine. Yeah, maybe. yeah, the, the the Ecto Ripple. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ecto Cooler, of course, most of you will know. I think, and some of the youngsters might not. It was high C juice boxes. They really had flavors, and there was a tie into the real Ghostbusters TV show. And I don't think they had the idea that Slimer would go anywhere because he wasn't really named. I don't think they named him until the cartoon. Because in the movie, they don't say. Yeah, yeah. They, they say, I've been slimed. But then I think it's funny for them to take that character and then it's the cartoon, the creators behind the real Ghostbusters who were like, hey, let's expand. Well, I think they needed like a yeah, they mascot. Wanted, yeah, like a, like a Scooby-Doo or yeah, like yeah. a Tintin, or not Tintin, but like more of like a little puppy, like a bandit. So they're yeah. like, hey, let's have Slimer be the ghost. So they name him Slimer. He takes off in 86 when the cartoon, he's so popular that, again, we said eventually they even curtailed the cartoon to have more of him. But like you're saying, they gave you all these products where yeah, yeah. Slimer, 
There's like you well, know, slime. Be, I mean, well, okay, slime in general in the eighties. Yeah, from Ninten- from Nickelodeon to can't do that to all the all. There's a whole toy line. Of slime movie. was a big was a big. They realized that you can give kids shit that I guess wasn't toxic. <laughs> you know, the kids because I'm sure kids ate it. You know, yeah, yeah. I think anything they give a kid aside from like hard plastic, they test to make sure. Like even like um plate like what do you call that uh, play rub or what uh, play doh play doh play rub <laughs> whatever play rub is. <laughs> Uh, you know, even Play-Doh is non-toxic. You know, <laughs> that's what my dad called it. Let's play some play rub again. I wanted that, uh, but Ecto Cooler. So Ecto Cooler yeah. was a dr- a beverage, drink, a juice box, and it was basically, to my recollection, it's been I don't know how long since I've had a box of Ecto Cooler. I don't know if it'd be any good either. We'll have to go check it out. See if we can get ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but it was like to my my recollection, it was like an orange drink, but it was green. Yeah, it's like this. It's like basically the high C drink you got at McDonald's. And then, uh, but it was like you said, it's green. And then it was Ecto Cooler with Slimer on the box for years after yeah. the cartoon was done. And then eventually they're like, kids now don't know what the fuck Slimer is. Yeah. So they took it was still Ecto Cooler for a while without Slimer. Yeah. On which the box, is even weirder. Which is like then. <laughs> You know, kids are like, what the fuck yeah, is that? What, what uh, yeah, and and, and uh, then I guess it got phased out because that was a big deal that they brought it back. Yeah, I mean, and they have a reason to now, and it's it's uh, it's and the 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 aspect of the wine that DM was talking about was eventually every <laughs> once in a while, I, I'd have two juice boxes in my bag, wow. brown paper baguette. Yeah, you be like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, mom, I need two. <laughs> well, yeah, eventually. I mean, maybe not in the beginning. It was two. It might have been one until. Uh, you know, junior high might have upgraded to, and every once in a while you'd get a box that had like the juice inside had fermented. Yeah, I don't understand this concept because this never happened to me. And well, because I never had Ecto Cooler either. <laughs> and this is this is a phenomenon that I don't know if you think is. I only ever singular drank, to Ecto Cooler. I only ever drank Ecto Cooler. Yeah, so, so this is a phenomenon like that was just to, that's just to Ecto Cooler. But Ecto Cooler was my jam, so that was like the one I had. And then, uh, so every once in a while you get one where like it. Kind of had fermented, so then you'd have like extra cooler, like wine cooler. I like that. There's like a like it's a, almost like a, it's it's separated, you know. And then you're like, you know, and then you shake it up and you bring it back. And it's like, <laughs> and then you said you get a little loopy after. Yeah, you'd get a little buzz because you know you're a kid drinking essentially wine. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so extra cooler. But they, well, so they came out with a lot of, um, and I, I, it, uh, I guess. I should know better now, and people are probably going to get mad at this, like the actual ghost heads who were actually, that's the name of the people who were Ghostbusters fans, they call them ghost heads, uh, that there was a whole other line of stuff. There was all kinds of Slimer-related stuff out, you remember? It wasn't just Ecto Cooler. I think that was like the icing on the cake, but I remember, aside from T-shirts, there was like other products too. I mean, sure, you can get like Trapper Keepers and stuff, yeah, yeah. but there was like, Slimer became like a blah, blah, it became a real character. And is it Harold Ramis? He, he voices... Uh, I think he voices Slimer in it, and there's another voice he voices in this movie. He's the voice of these two things. Um, oh, maybe. In, in, in the actual Ghostbusters movie. It's somewhere in my notes. So, um, But like I said, the opening scene scared me. I, I think I, it, you know, the, thus, the stuff they play straight, not for laughs, I think is kind of frightening. But then the other stuff like, like what the ghost turns into in the library scene isn't that scary to me. And uh, the... When they end up uh, turning off the containment unit and everything goes in the air, 
all those little things you see, like that little bat thing that comes out of the subways and that yeah, frightening. Yeah. To me, what scared me the most in that freaking scene, that it's montage. The, the, the taxi driver. Taxi driver scared <laughs> the shit out of me. Because remember, that's right around Thriller, you know, yeah, zombie, yeah. Uh, freaking Michael Jackson's looking at that zombie with that jelly come out of his mouth. I remember living, when I, where I lived when I was little in New Haven, it, it, well, the neighborhood was kind of changing. And I was like the only... Uh, you know, Caucasian kid in the neighborhood. So I'd hang out with all these other African-American children. And I remember like, you know, the night thriller dropped the next day. I was like, you know, did you see that? And I remember my dad didn't want me to watch it. He had me leave the room, but I kind of like snuck in and watched and gave me nightmares for years to come because I live near a cemetery. So I always felt like every night they were going to come out and kill me. So that was the, that was the the rumor. It was like, no, Michael Jackson looked at the jelly coming out of that one zombie's mouth. That's why he turned and suddenly he was a zombie and he started, dun, 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 ow, you know, so it, it's, it's, that time, seeing that that zombie, like it was a proper zombie looking. He was freaky looking, a cab driver, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to talk about the soundtrack, um, what's his face, um, Bernstein? Yeah, Elmer Bernstein. He he did this huge, luscious soundtrack for it, and they ended up taking a lot of stuff out. I think the stuff he made, and he was kind of cross about it. Like uh, he understood them putting the theme song in the beginning and the end. Yeah. But then other parts in the script, they kind of put like lighter music in. And then certainly he talks about, there's a scene where he got mad at when the containment unit uh, turns yeah. off yeah. and they put the stuff in the air. They, they put like an 80s. Yeah. And song it's in. called, I think magic is the name of the song. And I was going to say, I was going to kind of pseudo defend that because I think that song, to, like I remember that song being frightening in that sequence. Like t- to me, that song. Yeah, is when in, that's when that sequence came when we were watching it, it was like that's like, like oh yeah, I remember. And it is very, it's like a, like an eerie. Yeah, like how up. it's how the song is you know arranged and how the the vocal is very eighties. Yeah, and, and like I always want to go download it and listen to it, but it's married in my mind to that montage and it's scary and I think it works. It's not like you know, dun, 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 yeah, you know, it's not yeah. like you're getting like you know the the. The lighter music, it's kind of, it fits the scene, so yeah. it's sad that well, he was upset you know, about all that. It, the Being someone that just wrote a book about film music, it's a, you know, it's a tough job. I mean, the writer gets shit on in film, and in a lot of ways, the composer often does, too. Yeah. Whole scores will get written and thrown away after somebody had, like, busted their chops, tried to do it. Look at Lalo Schifrin for The, uh, for the Exorcist. Yeah, he, he wrote and, it. There's one of these record companies that releases these things the, on vinyl, you know, vinyl soundtrack reissues. They're releasing it soon. I heard that. There's a special edition of, yeah, Lalo Schifrin's original music for, um, uh, but it was. It's not my book, but if you're interested in the idea of like thrown away scores, the publisher that published my book has another book that's all about interviews with people about having their scores thrown out of movies. That's and horrible. I believe there is a Lalo Schifrin interview. In that book, what other you know, offhand, any other movies that were? I don't. Yeah, that's not one of the. I didn't. I don't mm. own that book, but I do remember uh, Christopher Young, who um, is interviewed in my book. He he composed the Hell, first two Hellraiser movies and all kinds of shit. He's a, he's an amazing uh, composer. Uh, he he wrote the forward for that book. Hmm. Um, so if you're interested in the concept of like. Thrown out music and thrown score. out music because it's, it's. You just a, think of how hard that is. You you sit down and you're scoring a movie either by sight, seeing it in post production, or just like Tangerine Dream, say did for Sorcerer, where you just do it all and you send it and it works perfectly. And then them saying it's not good enough. Yeah, like it doesn't work. You know, and then it never gets used again. I mean, even you think about um, 
uh, Scorsese, when he redid uh, Cape Fear, he used all the original score from the original Cape Fear, but then he ran out of music. So he ended up using uh, stuff Bernard Herrmann had done for other Hitchcock movies that were, although Cape Fear wasn't Hitchcock, that he had done that was appropriate that wasn't used. So he used like stuff, outtakes that Bernard Herrmann never used from like... I forget the, the two movies that he used, and they ended up u- working perfectly in yeah. the in the re. So that's cool that like a piece of music that's been sitting on the edit floor for fifty years is now being used well, again. Even in uh, the Hateful Eight, uh, you know, I don't, I had, I didn't keep up with what was going on with the Hateful Eight. Yeah, I mean, I saw the movie and I liked the movie just fine, but there was like Neil Morricone did the score. Yeah, and he ended up winning the Academy Award, I think, for it. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. But yet there are music cues, at least one for sure, that were were cues that Herman wrote for the thing that I don't think got used. In oh, thing. wow. Um, That's cool. Because Herman wrote a bunch of music for the thing. And then uh, Carpenter was like, yeah, it's not. My that's not my movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's not what this movie is. And we talk about that either in the thing, or I think we even bring that up in the uh, Halloween Three Seasons of the Witch. One of those two we're talking about, but probably the Thing podcast. Yeah. And how Carpenter actually ended up rescoring it himself and just not taking credit because he a couple wanna... of he he did a yeah, couple yeah, yeah. of not, not all not a lot. I mean the, the vast majority of it is uh, Morricone is Morricone's score, and but Morricone had redone a bunch of stuff. Yeah. For it, um, because. Carpenter was like, ah, this is, it's beautiful, but it's not right for the movie because he wasn't scoring it to the movie. Yeah, so it's all like it's a fascinating. Thing. Yeah, so it's, it's like it's, it's totally hard. not surprising that that Elmer Burns, this something like this would happen. Yeah, especially in the eighties when it became a thing to market a soundtrack. Yeah, and you it know, became like the, the pressures of having like you know he's scoring it with orchestration, and then you're bringing in other people to do like you know Ray Parker Jr. comes in with the with the pop song. Yeah, you know, yeah. And well, like for for instance, like a perfect example is the fly. Yeah, John, uh, David Cronenberg's yeah. the fly. There's a song that you know they had a contractual obligation with whatever thing to use this piece of music in uh, in the movie, so that then they could market it as part of the soundtrack. And I think it only shows up like in the bar room scene where Jeff Goldblum Breaks arm wrestles arm, oh arm the guy for for the girl. I still have nightmares of that scene. <laughs> and so the producers were like, "Well, you got to put it in like during the end credits. Like we have to highlight this song." And Cronin was like, "No, like it's just, well, I'm not going to go from like this tragic ending to like a rock song during the end credits." Yeah. And they're like, you have to do it. You have to. And he's like, no. And finally, he's like, okay, I'm going to show you what it is. And they put it in. And Mel Brooks, uh, who produced that movie, oddly enough. Mel Brooks. <laughs> Mel Brooks Maybe pro- he was a fan of the original. He produced that in Elephant Man around the, you know, in the, oh, in the, in the, in the 80s. He was producing you know, stuff other than comedies. And he saw it. And he's like, when that came on, he's like, what the hell is this piece of music? Why is this song on the end credits? And it was because Mel Brooks saw it and was like, no, this is ridiculous <laughs> that it got taken out. But there was the, this pressure to put songs in movies so that you could put a song, have a music video yeah, tied for into a it, song. Which happened here. And that, there is a music video for that, that song, song with, for, for the, the fly. With fly footage on it. It's, it's so odd. It's even like going back to like the first album in 87 of uh, Appetite for Destruction. They ha- their uh, Welcome to the Jungle is tied to Dirty Harry's Deadpool. Yeah. So... 
some of the cast of 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 the the band of uh, Slash and I think like Duff or whatever they're in the in one of the scenes when they're shooting that video and then Jim Carrey is singing because they're shooting a music video. Yeah, they're shooting uh, Welcome to the Jungle, so he's he's ad he's supposed to be Axl Rose and it's singing. <laughs> and then when you go watch the video for it, you see scenes of Eastwood running around with a forty four. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it's not like he didn't do it for the video, like say yeah, yeah. did for Then You Could Be Mine in Terminator Two, but it's scenes from the Deadpool. And it's like, why is this showing up in this one? Yeah, you know, but so but it's it's not, it doesn't surprise me. And yeah. then there's the whole controversy with the Ray Park Jr. Yeah, or it was song. so. Elmer Bernstein, he got a little mad that you know that the, the name of the other song it's called uh, "Mick Smiley's Magic" is the tune in that sequence we're talking about. He, he wrote a, a little piece of music called "Ghosts," and it got taken out uh, for this thing. And then he said, "There's another. There's a couple themes that he said that were that were weren't included: uh, magic and Zool." And they ended up putting out a a, a full a couple of years ago. Uh, um, soundtrack album for this with all this stuff on it and he also used this thing that we're not really sure how to pronounce it's French it's like uh, <coughs> Undes uh, Marton 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 it's it's M-A-R-N I'm sorry M-A-R-T-E-N O-T Martin, I would say it's Martineau if it's Martineau, French, and, and, it, and it's it's like owns Marteau, and as it means you, as, as everybody who listens to the show knows, knows we are the worst. That's the, the pronunciation. Yeah. yeah, we can't even say like Weissmuller. Last episode we're talking about Tars, and I'm like Weissmuller. Um, that 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 means it's French for Martone waves, and it's this thing he used that's very similar to a Thurman, and I guess Radiohead has used it recently in a couple of their albums, and uh, it sounds like a Thurman. Yeah, yeah. So when you at the beginning of the movie, and as it goes on. I think that works so effectively, that really eerie... Yeah. Well, you know, music cue-wise, uh, you know, just to tie in, like, how music... And he also used the Yamaha DX7 synthesizer, which was, I guess, a big thing at the time. They, they also cite, like, oh, we used that, too, along with this other device that sounds like a Thurman. The, just a little cue. I mean, probably nobody really notices this. Like I said, I just spent the last two and a half years <laughs> writing a book about it, so I'm very... Uh, Cognizant of yeah, it. Yeah, so... Bill Murray, uh, Peter Venkman walks into Sigourney Weaver's apartment and he lifts up the piano thing and he starts tinkling the two things. He's like, they hate this. And And they use it later on. And then when they walking, when they go into the refrigerator, he's about to open the refrigerator and they're trying to build suspense. You hear that music, that those two notes tinkling. It's a little bit of like tying it. It's fascinating how, how uh, movie music works. Um, so, Ivan Reitman. So next time you watch, keep a hear that kind noise, of they yeah. tie that little sound in to try to build suspense. The two last keys on the piano when he opens the door and there's nothing in the fridge. Uh, director Ivan Reitman did the voices of Zool and Slimer in it uh, for this. So that was Bernstein. Now getting off Bernstein to Ray Parker Jr. Ray Parker Jr. comes on to write a song. He, the story is all night long. He's trying to come up with a concept. He can't come up with the, you know. Uh, with, with a song about Ghostbusters, what are you going to do? And I guess he says, at like four in the morning, he saw like a plumbing commercial that had like a, yeah. a jingle that got the idea in his head. He called all his friends up, he recorded, then he, he was only able to get whoever he was able to get to be the chorus of, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. So he records it, and he ends up, I think, using certain sound effects in it. There's, there's some stuff he does that was like pretty uh, interesting at the time that he does for, the, for this thing. And then like what you're saying is, then what happens is... Um, Huey Lewis comes out, right? Because yeah. they, they had asked Huey Lewis to do the soundtrack. And they Huey originally Lewis asked no. Huey Lewis to write some music, to write some songs for the And he movie. was going to, but then he said no because he was went to go do Back to the Future. Yeah. And then uh, they also asked the guy who did Holiday Road. 
from the first um, vacation movie. And yeah. he says no because he doesn't want to get uh, kind of like uh, pigeonholed. pigeonholed doing uh, pop songs for these kind of comedy movies. Yeah. So he declines. So they get Ray Parker Jr., who I don't know why they got Ray Parker Jr., what the connection was before that. And he writes this thing. And then Huey Lewis, do you know what the, the, the little... Uh, the story goes. So the story goes, and he and on and in researching it for today, if it was there's a little there's another little new nugget to the story that I didn't know. But uh, Huey Lewis and there was when they did behind the music on VH1. Huey Lewis, uh, Huey Lewis talks about how they asked him to do it, and then they asked Huey to do it. Yeah, they asked Huey to write a song. He declines, and then the song comes out. And Ray Parker Jr. song. The Ray Parker Jr. song hit. comes out, and he's like, this is a ripoff of my song, I Want a New Drug. Yeah. I want a new drug. Well, it won't make me sick. <laughs> and uh, he, he sues him for so plagiarism. So he ends up suing. Uh, I don't know if he sues directly Ray Parker Jr. or who. Yeah, I don't he know who, say, yeah, he don't sues know who Ray, the publishing he, so, he sues Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism, citing the similarities between that and his song. So in VH1, he says he sues, and he says in VH1 that he sues and won. Wow. And then so that like he got the residuals for that publishing of that song like from henceforth. Now looking it up online, and I don't know what the truth is because sometimes you can't even trust the stuff you find online. Um, but apparently, it was settled out of court according to this thing that I read. Yeah. And part of it was part of like when you settle things out of court is like once it's settled out of court, you I, never talk about it. Yeah, it's all because that's that's part of the settlement is that you probably stuff sealed and then you. If you break that contract, then you you null and void the settlement usually. And so, and then, apparently, Julian Lewis broke that contract in, in, oh, in, t- the, in the t- and talking about it in VH1 behind the music. So I don't know what happened to it after that, but apparently he was in breach of whatever kind of contract that was written up for the settlement. Um, it, it's a it's an iffy thing. Um, oh, this this this. If lawsuit? you listen to the two songs, I mean, you can kind of hear it, but is it enough to warrant? Yeah, but he's, you know, we just talked about in the last, in the Tarzan, Greystoke cast, we talked about um, Harlan Ellison, and he's the kind of guy who goes and sues everybody, yeah. and sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes for the wrong reasons, and I bring that up because Huey Lewis doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Yeah. He's not a guy that's like, look at you, stealing from me. Like, you know, he's, he, was, he was hot shit right there, to, you know, in Back to the Future. I mean, for time. those of you that are not as familiar with, you know, these, the kinds of things that go into, like, the music and the legalities of it, basically, in a song, as I understand it, the only things that you can take ownership of are the melody and the lyrics. So even if you had like the, you know, the riff, or yeah, even the, the same chord progression, the same feel to a song, that's not necessarily even breaching. It would be like Ray Parks. The melody of Ray Parks vocal would have to have be the same as Huey Lewis's vocal for, I want a new drug. And they're definitely similar. But, uh, you know, like you, so you hear a lot of songs where you're like, this is a complete ripoff. And they might not be in breach of contract and in breach, in breach of like, you know, plagiarism rules based on that. It's really just the, uh, like I said, like the melody. So, like, for instance. Well, look at that new song where um, Alan Thicke's son. Oh, yeah. The, you, you know, he did that song that sounds so much to me like Marvin Gaye's Gotta Give It Up. Yeah, and I think they he got sued. He got he, sued and he lost. They, or, or he Marvin settled, Gaye or won. He just settled. Yeah, yeah, but that took a year. Like that song was huge a couple of years ago that summer, and then it took like two years, and it was only like recently. Like yeah, well, you know. just recently, like within the last couple of weeks, it was big news that 
finally it was settled that a, a court decided that Led Zeppelin didn't steal the opening riff to Stairway of Stairway to Heaven from uh, Spirit, which I thought was going <laughs> to be iffy because they had lost in the past. I think Humble Pie, maybe Willie Dixon for like um, You Shook Me, whole, whole, lot whole Lot of Love. You know, they, they in the seventies, I think either Muddy Waters and or Willie Dixon, who wrote a lot of that stuff, I think sued a lot of them. Yeah. And I think Zeppelin in particular and won because uh, I forget if it was Humble Pie or I forget who else did it for. You're saying, like, I think maybe Humble Pie was a whole lot of love, and then maybe You Shook Me was Willie Well, Dixon. a whole lot of love uh, is uh, is a song written by, was a, the original song is written by Willie Dixon. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if, uh, it wouldn't have been Humble Pie, it was like I don't The remember. Small Faces. Yeah, Small Faces. The Small Faces did a version of the Willie Dixon song, which... And they changed the arrangement, maybe? Well, they changed the arrangement, and he sings it a lot like... That version. Robert Plant ends up singing it like "You Need Food," yeah. and uh, I don't think they had any kind of legal right to saying that Led Zeppelin plagiarized. Them. So maybe it was just Willie. But I think Willie. I think Willie did sue and win. Yeah. So that's why I thought that was up in the air. But anyway, it's like "You Need Lovin'." I think it's the Willie Dixon song. Yes. Um. So and the the, the song ended up becoming a hit. Um. You know, oh, Ghost it was a huge so, hit. It Talk was on the, the music video. Yeah, I'm talking about the music video. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you, everybody. Throw it over back to me. Uh, You know, it was on the Billboard charts for two weeks. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. It was on for three weeks, number one on the Billboard Top 100. It was on for two weeks on the Black Singles chart. I didn't know there was a Black Singles chart. Um, And um, in 1989, Bruce A. Austin, uh, I guess who, it it brought an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song as well to Ray Parker Jr. Mm -hmm. And in 1989, Bruce Allen... Uh, Bruce A. Allen, who I don't know who that is, uh, he said the theme purportedly added twenty million to the box office take of the film just because that song was everywhere. Yeah, that's how much people went to go see the movie. So you get to this music video, and this music video, you know, MTV was just coming to vogue in the mid '80s. It was steaming, really popular. Yeah. Music videos were freaking, you know, the the hottest thing. Everybody was watching MTV. I want my MTV music videos, and you have they do this music video. Which uh, looks like it was one of these music videos, like they shot in like a day and a half. Or two yeah, days. not even. Maybe. You know, it's like the, the sto- outside stuff and then the inside yeah. stuff. Two days. It's like you know the, that Stones video where it's them like waiting on a friend, where it's yeah, just yeah. like a shot on shitty video, and it's just them walking down the streets of Harlem, like picking up people on brownstones, and then they end up in the in the end of it, they're in the bar. It's like that's like that took an afternoon. Yeah. You know, so this thing here, and, and they end up they're in costume. They're, they have the outfits on, which I think, hey, that's cool that they went that far. They took that much time to yeah. put the costumes back on, and you end up having all these cameos in it, and you have. Uh, um, uh, John Candy, who you know was going to be in the movie, he's uh, cameos, and it's they, they they all start cameos saying who are you going to call, and they, they they it's a call and response. You get Chevy Chase, you get John Candy, you get Ira uh, Irene uh, Cara, you get Peter Falk, you get Terry Carr, you get Ali E. Brown, you get Melissa Gilbert, you get George Went, you get Al Franken, you get Danny <laughs> DeVito, Carly Simon. Um, did I say Melissa Gilbert, Jeff, Jeffrey uh, Tambor? Uh, so you get a lot of people in there at the end, and they're all. I think the the song ends with them all like doing. They're doing like leg kicks in Times Square, maybe something like that. They're you definitely know? walking up Times Square, and it's all this thing where I don't think they told anybody about shooting, and they talk about in the Ghostbusters movie. There's a lot of the montages where you see them running around when they're getting like you know uh, catching ghosts, with and then also driving around the uh, Ecto One where they didn't tell anybody about it. So there's a lot of people just that's their real surprise. Them they're getting out of the car, stealing these shots, and then like running through like um, 
uh, what do you call it over there? Rockefeller Center with the traps yeah, smoking yeah. or them running up, you know, they're like up Fifth Avenue. I, I think there's a scene where like a security guard starts chasing them maybe and then like a, a, the Ecto-1 screeching around corners. So I think with this music video, they probably just did the same thing. They yeah. got out of a van probably and they started dancing to, to play back in Times Square and they were done in 10 minutes and it's just, you, it's funny, you see these people, for me, uh, I don't know why, but every, anytime something's shot on location, especially in New York, I never end up watching the foreground action. I end up always yeah, watching yeah. the background to see these people who were stopped like across the street behind the line, like looking like, you know, like real seedy dudes, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, chain smoking, them. you know, and like looking like, you know, who the, and I always like, like play the game, like who the hell is that guy? You know, so the, the video was massively popular and it ended up turning this thing into like a huge phenomenon. And, um, you know, this still, again, another song about this movie, one of the earliest memories I have is... Um, I went to like a summer camp and it wasn't a sleepover. It was like a day camp and it was a couple, couple towns away. And I was trying to, for life, Bethany. It was in Bethany, Connecticut. And uh, I remember at the end of the summer, we, we all put on plays. Yeah, yeah. And the play we put on, we were Ghostbusters. So I remember I made all the kids like out of constructs like the, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the, the proton pack handles to hold. And I don't remember, they, they dressed us up in something and then it was like, it ended up sucking like they half the kids were ghostbusters the other half were ghosts and i don't remember i might have been a ghost which just was just me with a fucking sheet over my head with like cut out yeah. and it was like dark and they played the ray parker song you know so it's like who are you gonna call and i probably my parents probably didn't even show up you know it was during the day you know you know yeah. so they were working so you know yeah, my parents yeah. didn't come to see the play today but this rich kids did who played freaking vankman <laughs> you know yeah. i was just a fucking ghost but i remember that they played the song so this must have been the summer of 84 you know if this yeah, was that yeah. popular 85 yeah i mean it was it was a big deal you know i mean it just and it's a great song like that that when I mean, even just the, the 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 melody is really good. You know what I mean? It's just really catchy. And then the who you gonna call? I ain't afraid of no ghost. And then the big hook. Which yeah, is like, you know, you can't. It makes me feel good. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't call this. Who you gonna call? I mean, it's it's you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. It's really catchy. You know, mm-hmm. um, so that that's the song there. And and I think we'd be remiss without bringing up uh, my personal favorite is the uh, Ghostbusters two. <laughs> that, that yeah. Right before this cast started, we were talking about that bad boy. Uh, we don't want to forget R&B, Bobby Brown. Uh, he did a song called On Our Own, which I loved at the time when that came out. And the video, I remember that from him, is like walking around New York City, maybe like in like a big guy, like with his reflections on the buildings. And that was a really good song. Um, yeah, Warren did a sequel, and they made enough money, Warren did a sequel. Maybe the sequel came out a little too late? Yeah, 89. Think? I think they should have, yeah, I think they should have. But the problem was is, um, I mean, there's probably a little more to talk about for the movie, but if we get to the sequel, that they didn't want to do a sequel. They're like, it kind of ended that way. And mm-hmm. I think that you look at it, they were all really doing like, you know, Dan Aykroyd goes to do trading places. You know, he's all over the 80s. They're all doing stuff, you know, so it's not like they're hard up for work. So I think it was like, and I don't, it's, when a movie is fun as this, and it's like, see, Bill Murray, it's like he didn't even want to do it. And then I hear like there's things where he was kind of a douche about it. And like, you know, he said he'd only, uh, there's a there's a, a purport here where it was like he would only do it uh sign on to do this if columbia let him do another movie you know so like once he was done with this with this um with this character you know that he wasn't really bothered and it and it ends up being that like i think the the studios are like uh he only wanted to do razor's edge uh which was a remake of a 1946 film razor's edge that he wanted to star in so they agreed yeah. columbia agreed that to do this they'd finance the remake which came out in 84 the razor's edge so uh which was like 
it was one of those weird situations, maybe like Memoirs of an Invisible Man, you know, oh, several, John, several would... years, you know, decade later, where it was like, it's not a comedy, and people went to go see Bill Murray, and it just was like, it's very... I don't think I've ever seen it. Now it's like, you know, now we can we can see Bill Murray and... and the versatility. In things that are not comedies and not think of him instantly, you know, like Lost in Translation or St. Vincent, where there's, you know, there are some comedy, comedic things, but it's it's not really a comedy. Yeah. Back then, it was like the first thing, all we really knew him from were, was like Meatballs, Saturday Night Live, Ghostbusters, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. You know? And there's a, did you ever, did you read that or see that this other deleted scene of when... It's uh, bizarre. <laughs> yeah, there, Rick. When Rick Moranis turns and he's and he's or he's running from the the, the demon dog, they're running through um, Central Park. But my point is that Razor's Edge was kind of kind of a flop because people just like it was hard to watch. It was difficult for audiences to watch a drama with Bill Murray and like kind of not laugh. Yeah, when they're they're expected, especially because his humor is so dry to begin with. Yeah, and he'd only been shitting out comedies at that time. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was, it, he was hit after hit after hit. You know. Um, but, but yeah, there's this deleted scene. There's this really weird deleted scene where it's of um, uh, Rick Moranis is running through Central Park trying to get away from the demon dog, and he passes these two bums that are yeah, like it's... having this weird conversation. And they're it's Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd dressed as bums. And yeah. to me, it was very reminiscent to you remember uh, in Coming to America, uh, you have what's the one? Is it tr- Trading Places is with Mortimer and uh, what's his face? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, what's his face? Uh, b- 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 I forget, I'll think of the two. Ak- Akia, what's his name? Don Amici. Don Amici and... and uh, uh, who's the other guy? It's, um, uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue because uh, Cary Grant says he looks like Ralph Bellamy. Because remember in like, yeah. is it His Girl Friday or his something? His Girl Friday. Where he walks, he's like, uh, the waiter, he's like, go get that man, tell me there's a phone call. He looks like Ralph Bellamy and it's really Ralph Bellamy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Ralph Bellamy's playing the character. Yeah, yeah. So Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy at the end of trading places they you know they end up being broke but in coming to america there's a scene where like uh eddie murphy's trying to impress that girl and he has like a wad of money he, just, he wants to hide it from her when they have on a date so he just walks up to a bum and he puts like the wad of money in the bum's like coffee can and they walk away and then what happens is the bum lifts his head and it's don amici and ralph Bellamy, and he looks at him he's like he looks at the money he's like Mortimer, we're back you know and that's the end of it so it's like that's the joke that they're gonna you know go back and you know get yeah. back on top so i figured this kind of to me looked like that even though that came out in like 88 or 89 afterward because it just made no sense yeah bill murray's like it, making his caddyshack he's voice. doing kind of the caddyshack like his mouth and it's like and him you can see like yeah, honestly you could maybe get away with people wouldn't even know it was dan agra dan agra yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually might be you or not uh non-recognizable in it so i agree with you there. like you only kind of recognize that it's dan agra because you can recognize that it's bill murray yeah and bill and it's clearly bill murray and I'm I'm kind of glad talking about baseball or something. Yeah, I they're think? talking about like uh, something you know New York teams and you know something maybe you know about Reggie Jackson or something. Uh, no, they're something. talking about they're talking about whether a boxer could beat up a kung fu master or something like that. Yeah, something, something really bizarre. weird. And then you see uh, Rick Moranis runs through the scene, and since they never completed the scene with special effects because it never was completed and put in the movie, then they react to something that isn't there, which probably is the the insert of the demon dog passing them. But I'm so glad they didn't keep that in because that was just so odd. Yeah, it would have taken you out of it. You know, and, and it really would have stayed. Yeah, it would have stopped everything down. You're like, well, that was Bill Murray. You know, <laughs> wait, what? Yeah, there's no, there's no makeup or nothing on it. So, um, what else about this? Um, oh, um, Lindsey Buckingham is the Holiday Road. 
that didn't want to do oh, the... Oh, Lindsay Buckingham. Yeah, that, that's... He's, they, they didn't want, they want to come back and do the, uh, the song. Um, this is one of these movies, funny enough, where the turnaround was really quick, and they also cite Commando the same year. It comes out... Well, it comes out in 85, where these... They realize they, that they want to get these movies right in the theaters by the summertime, so Commando is one movie like they shot in October, and it was out like that summer, and this movie they shot like in like February, March. They turned it around, it was out by the summer. So they must have already had, you know... The, the the big the yeah, wheels turning for merchandising in, in, yeah in, and I would imagine that the special effects would have been that's probably the hardest part well, of they, turning that movie around um, Ivan Reitman says that like the the finished print even had like some incomplete special effects shots and errors like you know you could see some wires but he said people didn't care yeah. you know and he was like okay that's fine and um, it, it's another thing where they had the marketing campaign I guess without telling anybody they shot it having the Ecto one just drive around New York City and this is something that happened to me like a month ago where. I was on 6th Avenue and there was a Cadillac parked yeah. uh, which we tweeted out the picture of that I took and it's a it's a it's a, like a I don't know early 80s late 70s Cadillac hearse and it's an Ecto-1 but yeah. it's not the 59 um uh, what the um the Ecto-1 to get to the Ecto-1 the Ecto-1 is a 1959 Cadillac Miller Meteor it's freaking awesome I, uh it's a um a conversion ambulance and uh Unfortunately I'll never find it. I'm oh, sorry I didn't want to No no finish it. I'll never be able to find it in time for when we're going to post this. But there's a photograph of me somewhere, probably circa 89. So it was probably around the time of the sequel. Yeah. In the in the parking lot of a Price Chopper, which is a supermarket chain. Of course, yeah. Up, 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 area. Upstate area. Uh, and they have one there? Standing in front of the uh, Ecto-1 with a guy who's like kind of a... Uh, Kind of a Dan Aykroyd lookalike with like the like the goggle things oh, yeah, on yeah, top yeah. of his head, like Holy his arm yeah. around me, and we're both giving a thumbs. Up. <laughs> you should see if you can find that before this <laughs> before the end of this uh, before we post this cast. Um, it's I mean I love it. I, I'm a big uh, a Cadillac fan, and, and a little useless knowledge for you is that this is a '59 Caddy, and the '59 Caddy is the is the year that the fins were the highest. Yeah, they kind of went up to 50, at '59, then in '59 to the '60s they kind of brought that fin back down. And um, they had three Ecto ones in this movie. They had or three uh, cars. They had the black one that they originally had when they drove it in, and then they had one for um, this movie that ended up dying after shooting. And they had one for Ghostbusters too, and then they ended up purchasing the car at the beginning, and they converted that into an Ecto One as well. Uh, the original uh, creation vehicle design was by this guy named Stephen Dane, and uh, they ended up uh, they f- finally it was rotting on the Sony backlots, okay. and they they restored it so it's back to its original glory. And it's interesting that a replica of it uh, sold at the Jacks uh, Barrett Jackson auction house. Uh, in 2010 for eighty thousand dollars for original Ecto One and the original they wanted the Ecto One to to to, to be black originally yeah. and it was going to be black and they said well we're going to do a lot of night shooting it won't ve- look very good black so that's why they turned it white but I brought up the Ecto One because we were talking about the Cadillac hearse why the hell did I even bring up the Ecto One you said you saw it oh so yes so they're driving the damn thing around they had another car I saw about a month ago that wasn't the 59 it was like another caddy uh, early 80s and it was like this dude in a jumpsuit it was this Mexican guy just standing there with like Oakley's on and he's standing there with his hands around his chest and he's got a big smile on he's just leaning against the car and I thought even when I took the picture and came home because I was looking at the top of it and it said stuff like you know please stay far away stuff could become unlodged while driving and hurt you or whatever I thought it was 
just some dude who made the car himself. Yeah. And like his, you know, it's been sitting in the garage for 30 years. And his wife was like, get that fucking thing out of my balls. <laughs> get it back on the road and capitalize on Because people were walking by and they're like, holy shit, it was just parked. I just saw one the other day driving through the city. It must be the same Everybody one. was like taking pictures it, of it. It was, it was just but sitting there. But it was there. driving. It I was, didn't even pay attention to oh, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know. It was, well, it was blasting the song. And you're like, welcome to New York. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's what it, it ends up turning out to be that way. Well, this thing was just sitting parked on 6th Avenue where you can't park, but they must have allowed him in front of McDonald's and there's a new Chick-fil-A there and people were just walking by snapping pictures. Yeah. I snapped a picture too and then later I, when I, a friend of mine Googled it, he's like, no, look, this is the new car because I hadn't... From uh, the new movie? Yeah, for full disclosure, I've never seen any previews for the new movie at all, not because I didn't want to, it's just, I don't know. And then when I was doing prep for this, I looked to look something up on YouTube and the commercial that I had to watch before, I, the thing I wanted to watch was the commercial for the Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. So I finally saw the movie and I saw the car and I was like, oh, it is the same car. Well, there's so, also, I mean... We and, should... and it's funny that the, you have this guy driving through blasting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it the new song or the Ray Parker song? It was the Ray Parker song. Because I hear there's a new song and I don't hear it's very good. It's like, um, you know, we should wrap this up soon, but just, you know, people that don't, you wouldn't know this, but I go to a lot of, I mean, you know that I go to a lot of conventions, but you wouldn't know this about the conventions is that like the Ghostbusters are a big deal. And there's like every, well, ghost heads, the, 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 every, the cosplay. like, yeah, every town there's like the Ghostbusters, whatever, if you're saying they're ghost heads of like Connecticut. Yeah. And there's ones of like you know Westchester, and they're like they kind of consider it like a rivalry. Yeah, well they they call the the um, and so they you call go to these conventions and they call see them. franchises. So they call like you're saying that the, the ghost heads have different areas. Their regions are called franchises, and so it's almost like you know like yeah they're different gangs, and they go to and each franchise they say has their own version of the Ectomobile, so they can do, like, they go cater special events. Yeah, and they, they have, show up you, you always see it parked parties, in the parking lot. And you know. They'll be walking around. Sometimes they'll have their own table Yeah, at the convention. Yeah, the conventions, you and I went to the two um, uh, merchant New York merchandise, you know, the ones at the Pennsylvania Hotel, yeah, yeah. they had a whole bunch of people dressed up, and they would look pretty good. But they'll know. have, like, a table where you can go and, like, look at the proton packs and traps that they built, yeah. you know, for, the, and for their own personal satisfaction. There's a 2016 independent film called Ghost Heads, uh, so um, maybe that that profiles yeah. the, the history of the Ghostbusters. Um, so there's a whole other stuff going, you know, uh, go into about, like, uh, you know, the, the look, the interior uh, of the firehouse was actually in L.A. The exterior, of course, is in um, New, York. New York. That's a very legendary thing um, in New York City. And then uh, this ended up coming out. It ended up doing uh, very, very, very well. And uh, I did a crap load. The firehouse is the hook and ladder company, eight in New York City, where they did the exteriors. Uh, this came out, like I said, June 8th, 1984. It ended up grossing $13.6 million the opening weekend, $23 million the first week. Uh, became uh, number one in the box office for five weeks, grossing about $100 million. After seven weeks, it was knocked out of, to position two by Princess Purple Rain. Huh. That's another 1984 summer movie. We forgot Purple Rain. And then... We should do Purple Rain at some point. Yeah. I mean, it would have been timely, when obviously, he passed, to yeah, do well, it when that, he passed, That would be something but, really fun to do. Uh, and then Indiana Jones uh, was, was there, too. And then, remarkably... Ghostbusters then regained the top spot six uh, again six weeks later after Purple Rain, and then it was knocked out for Billy Beverly Hills Cop, which is also '84. So um, this movie ends up making a crap load of money. It ends up like I think grossing like yeah two hundred eight uh, million dollars. So it's like five hundred twenty a half a billion dollars in today's dollars if you adjust yeah. it for inflation. And the 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 
Critics, it was, you know, 97 received uh, on Fresh Tomatoes. It's all really good. It's funny, though, that the, one of the critics that does bash it, Pauline Kale, she's no. the woman that is the girl who had all the problems with the original Dirty Harry movie, calling him a chauvinist and a pig and a yeah, right yeah. lunatic. You know, and she, she has some issues with Murray's performance, you know, and uh, kind of, I guess, the stuff we're saying now, you know, <laughs> which is kind of funny about, you know, Murray's performance no, the, and stuff like the, that. You know, we should... I mean, this is what, what he got. Right? Oh, just then it was just, you know, then, it, you know, all these re-releases. This movie's been re-released in the theater a bunch of times and made a, a substantial amount of money, released on Laserdisc and all this, you know, special, you know, stuff like that. I think a couple, a couple of things right before we kind of call it a day on this one. We have to bring up that the reason why the cartoon, which we talked about a lot earlier in the podcast, is called The Real Ghostbusters, is because there was another cartoon that came out trying to capitalize on the success of the Ghostbusters yeah. called the Ghostbusters. Which <laughs> now, 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 as a kid, yeah. you see this and you got the Ghostbusters on. I think was it Filmation. Filmation is, is behind it all, but our Ghostbusters movies is in '84. Yeah, this Filmation comes out with a, a cartoon in '86 called the Ghostbusters. So we, yes, yeah, so we as a kid, you're like, oh, the Ghostbusters. You they have it yeah, There's a new cartoon. Yeah, so you turn it on and it's like this guy and a gorilla. With a fedora on, and, and they're running around. And another and guy, and, and the car a, has a ghost in it. It's yeah, the car's possessed, and then there's a bad guy that kind of looks like uh, a, a different between like Mumra and freaking uh, Doctor Claw. And he's like, you know, it's like you're like, you know, like what the hell is going so it's on? Like, you're like, what the fuck is this? Who's the who's an ape and who's the who's the yeah? Like, what are these characters? Yeah, and you're like, you can't make any heads or tails of it. And, and you, then the real Ghostbusters come out, and then it, the, you know <laughs> they have to say the cartoon, the, the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah like our the, the song is like you know, da, 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 you're walking down the street in a parade. You know, like da 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 da. Ghostbusters. Like, you know, the real Ghostbusters. Arsenio says. So for d- decades, no one understood. For most of my life, yeah. At this point, maybe it's not most of my life, but until past college, there was always this weird phenomenon of like, "Hey, remember that Ghostbusters cartoon show with the ape?" Yeah, what the hell was <laughs> and everybody that? Everybody like, what was that? And then, lo and behold, sometime after college, in one of these stores that sadly don't really exist anymore, where you get like you could buy cheap DVDs, yeah. there used to be one right across from Bryant Park, very much like the record explosions that we used to go to when we were in college. But they had these other DVD stores. There was a DVD of a TV show, a tele, a live action television show called The Ghostbusters, with uh, Forrest with- Tucker from I think F Troop. Larry Storch, Larry Storch, and a guy in an ape costume. Bob Burns, and you know he was billed the uh, the trainer of the ape is Bob Burns, and it was it's it, now so this cartoon show from 1975, the, the cartoon from '86, yeah, is based, based on, on this live action 1975 show called The Ghostbusters, and th- those are two different words, Ghostbusters, and like we said, it's these three guys, and it's this, it's this, there was a. It's really weird, and it was this time where you think about they were trying to do a lot of things in the mid seventies with this kind of thing, and like even like the Howdy Doody show came back, and it was all out of Florida, and they're trying to do like what they did in the fifties with Howdy Doody in Florida with these audiences, yeah, yeah. and it's, it sometimes airs like on MTV it airs on Saturday on mornings. Sunday mornings. I watch it. It airs like on on like Me TV or it's this like crappy is the Howdy Doody. T- yeah, it's like because Jackie Gleason went and was filming like the Honeymooners in the seventies in Florida, so people started filming in Florida, so everybody has like these horrible tans. <laughs> you know, they all look like leather, and it's really weird, and it has that seventies look. So they were doing all these weird kind of shows and this this Ghostbusters show that we're talking about here that was from Filmation the company uh they it it was it was a show where it was 
The one guy was called Spencer. The other guy was called Tracy. There's a joke here because there's mm-hmm. the actor Spencer Tracy. And then they had the um, the ape, the sidekick was, I think, called Kong. And uh, they were Ghostbusters. And it was just really hokey. I mean, it is freaking stupid. Yeah, full and disclosure. I've never seen the live action show. I just know. They, they only taped 15 episodes. And they did it like in nine weeks. They taped the darn thing. And, uh, and of course, Larry Storch, you know. He's, and he's dressed up like a pimp. He's like in a zooch suit. He's got like a big old brimmed hat, yeah. you know. And then Forrest Tucker, who I think is from Epps Troop, he's kind of got like, he's got like a football t-shirt on. But then he's wearing like a, he's almost looking like Art Carney from the Honeymooners where he's got like one of those kind of hats on. He's got like a suit vest. And this it's them almost like the lonesome ghost from the Mickey Mouse short yeah. where they're and they have a gorilla for some reason and they get they get these calls to go on these these adventures and they're in this jalopy that kind of looks like a Maxwell and they're they're they take this jalopy and they shot it where it looks like they shot all the exteriors to like Batman in the 60s yeah. and then they shot it day for night which is this phenomenon where they're shooting it in the daytime but then they're bringing the f-stop down so it looks kind of like almost dark so it looks like it's nighttime yeah so it's just them in this jalopy like and it's sped up a little bit and they're driving around on these back <laughs> dirt roads and then they get to these sets and these sets are just terrible like it's a haunted house and it's like it looks like a Sesame Street set and they're like creeping around so and you, then so if you guys didn't realize it, yeah, like we did like we didn't for a, a large part of our lives this is this ridiculous show so what happens is um it gets a little convoluted here but they start making the ghostbusters movie in 83 84 and they neglect columbia neglects to even acknowledge that filmation owns the rights to the name ghostbusters like no they don't so like right before their movie's about to come out they say they, they, they end up paying filmation they they end up like i think they they pay him a certain like $200,000 and plus like 1% of the profits to license the name ghostbusters which they agree to so they use the move they use it they do the ghostbusters movie although they're two completely different things yeah yeah then filmation said they they filmation the the series in 75 didn't really go anywhere after one season so filmation since it was just like a struggling kind of company they took the money out of it they canceled it they put the money towards other stuff so then that that project ended up dying like in 75 so and the theme song is so ridiculous maybe we should include it at the end of this cast because <laughs> it's larry it's 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 larry um storch storch and and, and tucker singing it forrest tucker yeah, singing yeah. not forrest tucker uh, um, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest, yeah, Forrest Tucker. Yeah, Forrest <laughs> Whitaker. A very young Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Tucker, they're singing the darn thing. So uh, what ends up happening is after the 84 movie comes out, Filmation comes to Columbia like, hey, can we license? We we have a cartoon department. We do stuff like He-Man and She-Ra and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Filmation's a big deal for us. Yeah, generation. you know, for they're doing like those rotoscope kind of live action. They might action. have even done, I'm not positive, but they might have even done... Like super friends and stuff. They might have, yeah. But they kind of, you know, we, I, I, th- I know they definitely did He Man for like He Man, She Run. Those, there's a whole line of cartoons that way, uh, and they're kind of like the evil opposite to like, you know, they were giving Hanna Barbera the biggest like, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, thing at the time. So they go to like the Columbia, like, hey, can we have a licensing to do a cartoon? Uh, Columbia's like, no, fuck you. And I think also at the time maybe they're having problems with Bill Murray saying you can't license my stuff. So at the time, Columbia never thought of uh, of agreeing. Filmation still owned the rights to be able to do a cartoon version. Yeah. And Columbia never thought of ever doing a cartoon version when they were just licensing the rights to use the name for, for their movie. So what they so what Filmation does, well then fuck you. They say, let's just remake our show and turn it into a cartoon. So that's where if you look at this really hokey, cheap show in the 70s, they redo it. They make the guy younger. He's got like, a, you know, he's no longer like, for, you know, Forrest Tucker, this 
older guy. Yeah, yeah. They make the other guy kind of look like a Dan Aykroyd. He's bumbling. He's got like one of those like uh, airplane hats on. Yeah. And they make the ape like with a fedora. They make him kind of cooler. They turn the jalopy into a thing that can fly. It's also possessed by a ghost. And it also it has a logo that becomes their logo. You know, and it's very much in, you know, it's kind of leaning towards the Ghostbusters. And this thing comes out in 86. And kids have no idea yeah, what the yeah. fuck is going on here. We're like, why confusion. is there... Confusion. Mass confusion. Why is there an, a monkey ape? I never saw a monkey and ape. And what does this have to do with the Ghostbusters movie? Nothing. They're trapping ghosts, too. And a little so, known fact, I mean, people might know this, but uh, Bob Burns, is that the guy's name that did the ape in the yes. original one? Yeah. He has this, he has a basement. Bob Burns' basement is, a, is like a thing. Do you know about Bob Burns' basement? No, but is this going to get seedy? Should we have to No, <laughs> no. Bob Burns has like the one of the largest or the largest collection of movie science fiction and horror movie props. Does he ri- rival Forrest Ackerman? I think he might have gotten a lot of his oh, stuff after from Forrest, Forrest Pass. After Forrest Pass, but... Like it was like people, you know, he has like all the alien heads. Wow. He's got the Nautilus. Wow. You know, he might lend some of that stuff out to like when we saw the Nautilus, if that was the original Nautilus when we saw it in California. Oh, I did, yeah. Uh, Harry and Henderson's heads, gremlins. He's got all kinds of stuff. And it's this thing. If you go on YouTube, there's all these videos of like interviews with Bob Burns. And uh, oh, how old is he now? Because you think of him. Oh, he's, he's got to be in his 80s other, yeah. now. But, you know, Larry Storch is around. He was at that. New York thing that we went to at the New Yorker when I was at the New Yorker. Larry Storch was there signing stuff. Wow, okay. Because uh, he did the voice of the Joker in the cartoon and like the Batman. Is that him in like the, like the like the like say Scooby Doo movies? Yeah. Now let's go over here. Oh my gosh, that's the Joker. It all comes full circle. <laughs> so Bob Burns' basement. Check it out because he's got the soul. He owns, I believe, Bob Burns owns the uh, last armature of King Kong. Like the, the, the 30s. Yeah, the original King Kong yeah, movie. Yeah, that, that like inspired the, like, like the metal Ray skeleton. Harryhausen and all that, those kind of guys. He owns all that stuff. So Bob Burns' basement is like a, is a shtick, is a thing about uh, amongst like, you know, geeky collectors like myself. <laughs> I did not know that. But so, yeah, so this movie. And I believe he still owns the, 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 outfit. the, the ape costume. Yeah, because yeah, he's building the movie as, uh, you know, uh, or on the show as the trainer for the monkeys, Bob Burns. And it didn't go anywhere. And it's just a ridiculous show. I bet you if you're a kid. If you've yeah. got a, a kid that's like between the ages of like two and five or six, you you can buy this box set oh, for them, and they'd love it. They'd love the freaking thing because it's all just like slapstick. You know, you could tell they're probably half drunk when they're shooting it. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's all very like you know they flub a line. Who cares? Well, it was the seventies. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's all you know, it's all when the times were great. Um, so then that's I mean, the, we're talking about the time of like H.R. Puff and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like childs, like children, like programming. Yeah, you know, it was a little hokey. You know, that's just the way it was then. Land of the Lost, shit like that. Yeah, you know, getting into like uh, you know PBS era and stuff like that. But um, so this then for I guess a year and a half or so. This oh no, you know this. I think the filmation show only runs for like a season. It runs like like. From like September Enough to, to September. Make toys. Well, they made like sixty-five episodes, say. So if, yeah. if you think about if they're doing what five a week, would it yeah. be from September to December '86? Maybe you do have enough for you know for to, and then you go into syndication or whatever. Yeah. And you're right; they had toys. I remember, and, and I wonder what those toys look like now. Like yeah, I didn't own any, but I remember they had. Them. I remember like seeing the car. I thought the car looked really cool. You know, the car and it, was neat. And it's funny that it all throw back to the '70s show that this Ghostbusters show that was also a play off of the old like Bowery Boys or like those Ghost Mashers kind of things. Sure, sure. You know, the, of the I mean, inspired I mean, by a lot of the same shit that you know all the inspired stuff, the same Ackroyd, stuff that yeah. inspired Ackroyd to write this one. And so. um the, the, let's see, before we, we uh, 
do it all up. You know, Janine, they, 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 they were talking about maybe Sandra Bernhardt being Janine. I'm glad they used Amy Potts. Yeah, I think she's great in this. I love you know, Amy Potts. I'm sorry. Steven, uh, Steve Gutenberg turned down this role because he was staying with Police Academy to do... He, they offered Peter Venkman to him. Uh, Jay Leno auditioned for uh, for Louis uh, Tully, um, the, the Rick Moranis character, which would have been weird. Uh, there's, there's a couple, like we said, deleted scenes uh, that end up turning up in the... Um, uh, in the in the some of the uh, special edition movies, I mean, there's one even where like a policeman tries to ticket the Ecto One, but the car won't let it. So that you know, I never heard that end of it where the car is possessed. It's almost like a kit or kind of like a like a Christine kind of a thing. <laughs> that would have been pretty funny if you know that we don't know it. You know, there's there's all kinds of references. I think we should bring up the um, uh, the Stay Puffed. Oh yeah, you know because I when we were as watching kid, this as a kid, I always found it very confusing. Yeah. Like, because I didn't understand. You mean, like, narratively, why this yeah. showed up? Like, I understood that, like, and the concept of the movie is, was Zool. Who's the, who's the... Gozer? Gozer is like, you know, you're going to pick the your destruction. So they're like, somehow, Venkman knows what that means. Yeah. Is it just clear? <laughs> you know, yeah. Somehow he's able to <laughs> magically put two or two together. So it's a clear mind. And so uh, Ray doesn't, he, he tries to think of something harmless instead of just clear his mind. And so then the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man shows up. And as a kid, I never really understood. And it, it's quite ballsy to have an ending like that because near the end, they were really, the studios were really worried if it was going to be bad. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is. And then when they shot it, they said it looked really silly. And the guy doing it was kind of like, Kind of like jumping, like a dunk, a dunk. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're like, "This is gonna look terrible." And the studios are really, and they're like, "Wait, wait till you see what we do with the." And Ray explains why, you know, he's thinking like, "I was thinking of a childhood memory that always made me feel very good." Was roasting Stay Puft marshmallows. It's this real camp he mentions from Illinois, you know. So, but as a kid in the '84, watching this movie, not ever having heard of Stay Puft marshmallows because I don't believe it's a real brand. It wasn't a real brand in where I was from. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it was regional, but like I didn't really know what it was, so I didn't really understand it. It would like had they been like the Michelin Man yeah. or the Jolly Green Giant. Well, they say that the the Stay Puff was a kind of um, an amalgam of the Michelin Man, and there's somebody else, you know, that they wanted to, to, for him to be. Yeah, yeah. Like if it was like a more popular mascot. Yeah, like I would have gotten it. The, the but as a kid, I remember not really understanding like what it was. Like, well, he's made out of marshmallows. The Mar- Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Like, what is that? I understood it being a mascot when I was little. Um, but you know, I, I, for some reason I got it. But you know, I, I guess it worked back then. But then I didn't know until us actually bringing it up or watching this that oh, maybe it wasn't a brand prior to this that they invented it. Yeah. You know, for this the, the, originally they wanted it at first. They wanted it to be the Statue of Liberty, but the, the, they. Um, Save that baby for the sequel. I'm sorry. They didn't want it to be the Statue of Liberty. They wanted the Stay Puff to come out of the water uh-huh. so that they can show you the size against the Statue of Liberty, how big it was. But then they said this is going to be too expensive. I mean, that's a beautiful, that's an you amazing know? shot of that walking. Thing. Yeah. Like, and it's it? all, it's amazing when it gets to Central Park West because all that's forced perspective. They yeah. did all miniature work. So they said at the time that, you know, they were looking for the right scale and it was some weird ass scale they couldn't find model cars for. And they went to some toy store and they found like a car that was the right model. Uh, p- car model to be a police car and it was the right size so he went and he called like all the toy stores in Southern California got all this model and then they ended up being police cars fire tr- all these yeah. to be this certain size of these cars down there um, but it, it ends up being really weird in the movie because it's such it, and then it ends up being like evil you know and it, it's it's uh, 
it's terrifying in a, in a way. But there's gets... two watching it now. I mean, you would never have picked up on this on the first viewing in the theater in 1984. But there are a couple of like very subtle references to Stay Puft Marshmallows. Yeah. Which I guess is supposed to like plant the seed that like, oh, we'll get it later. Which is Sigourney Weaver, when she comes back from the grocery store and where the eggs pop out. Sitting next to the eggs is a is a bag of Stay Puft marshmallows. Yeah, and then I noticed when they blow the uh, they turn off the uh, coolant unit, in the long shot you see everything coming out of the firehouse. There is in the widescreen there is a building on the left side of the frame that has one of the old signs that's like you know that they used to put on like the side of like a brick wall brick building, yeah, yeah. and it's faded and it's of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And I don't know if then maybe in pan and scan four three that got cut yeah, out. Yeah, might have. You know, actually, and that's a real subtle image that's pretty cool. Um, so that's the Stay Puft, and it's and, and they they were really worried it was on the chopping block because they were really worried that audiences wouldn't buy it, and it was kind of a ballsy thing. It's funny. I mean, I think because the movie is a comedy, it works. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? But if it was like a serious movie, it would have been. Well, really, I mean, I think really it's supposed choice. to be funny. You know? Yeah, um, seeing that thing walking down, walking up West End. You know, and it, again, or I mean, uh, Central Park West, and it's and then it getting evil at the end, and then they they say like they use shaving cream for when it explodes, and the guy who plays the bad guy in it. <clears throat> He says uh, he didn't know that all that 75 pounds of shaving cream was going to come down on him. And he was really upset because he almost oh, floored imagine. him. When it happens you know? in the movie. Yeah, he looks like, so I, surprised. I was like, I bet you that was not pleasant. Yeah. Like, it, I bet you it was heavy. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what he says. It was, you know, <laughs> and he was yelling at everybody. At and the that end. guy, I mean, we should give that guy a shout out. Yeah, he's always, uh, he says it's, it's hard because he said after this movie, everyone actually thought he was an asshole. William Atherton. Yeah. And so he get. Who well, like, I first saw in. Uh, well, I mean, I didn't see it in the theater, but I think he's in what Sugarland Express by, uh, by Spielberg. Yeah, and then of course he's best known for. Well, this is funny because he says, after this movie Ghostbusters, he go in, in bars. People thought he was that character, and uh, you know people start fights with him. And then it's like you think about, um, that's ridiculous. Can't people de- delineate? truth from real life and i told you before there's an ernest borgnine story where uh he had done um from here to eternity and in that movie spoiler alert, he kills frank sinatra so the rest of his life like italians be like you're the fucker who killed frank sinatra <laughs> and he's like it's a movie sinatra's alive singing songs still you know but people they get wrapped up like a movie's a movie you know you kill you killed sonny you know yeah, you did yeah. this you know so he would get into these almost fights or verbal fights with people in bars and he's like you know people have thought in real life i was a real asshole but then you say he goes on to be the quintessential asshole in Die Hard. He'd be, in Die Hard. He's and the Die reporter. Hard too. In Die Hard 2. I mean, he gets, you know, she knocks him out in Die Hard, and then Die Hard 2, she tases him. <laughs> and then we have another Die Hard. We have the guy that plays Carl Winslow. Yeah. Uh, he uh, plays a cop. <laughs> uh, Devel, Devel Johnson, he plays a cop in this movie. He shows up in Crocodile Dundee 2. I think he's the he's like the limo driver. Also, you know, too. Uh, yeah, as well, yeah, it's Crocodile Dundee uh, number two. I mean, he might be in two. I don't remember. But um, he's in number the first two is one. when they bring him to New York, right? Or is he in the first one? Then maybe he, then he's that's what I'm thinking of. He's in one of them, and, and then, then he shows up. He shows up in Die Hard. Uh, you know, and he plays a you know he plays um, uh, a very a, sizable a poli- role, a police officer yeah. in Die Hard, and then plays he, a police officer. <laughs> and then he shows up on Family Ties. Uh, Family Ties. Family Matters as a police officer. But he Carl plays, Winslow. But he's a police officer in this too, in a very short. Yeah, scene. in a little. And then that scene where they're in the jail, oh, we keep throwing all these facts out. They say that that jail supposedly was really haunted. There was actually they shot it in New York. I don't know if that was in the tombs or in Rikers, but they say that place was purported to be to be really haunted. And they shot a lot more footage, and when they got it back, all the shit that they had shot was all scratched. Huh. And then they, they got really worried, but they had enough coverage that they didn't have to go back for reshoots. And they're like, thank God, but they said that wherever they were was notoriously supposed to be really haunted. Um, you know what? There's an amazing reference in here. I want to give a huge shout-out to um, 
we are we are always talking about freaking uh, antenna TV now that you and I watch all these old shows. Mm-hmm. There is a show on now that if people have never heard of it, you have to watch it. It's called Car Fifty Four, and I've got it in the Car Fifty Four. Car Fifty Four, I mean, where, where are, are you? you? Yeah, it's an amazing show. Sh- stars Fred Gwynn. Um, uh, what's his face? Grandpa uh, Al, uh, Al Lewis, Lewis is in it. Um, and uh, another gentleman, I forget, uh, I forget the darn name. Is he's a comedian? Ooh, ooh, he needs from uh, freaking Hair Bear Bunch. He did the voice in the seventies. But it's an amazing show. Only ran for two seasons, but they shot it up in the Bronx. It takes place up in the Bronx, and it's a fictional precinct that takes place and called um, Precinct Fifty Third Precinct, the Five Three. And it's fictional. Now in Ghostbusters, so in, in to, to wrap this up, top five shows of all time. With like Jack Benny, Honeymooners, uh, people say Mash, Twilight Zone, Car Fifty Four has to be in there. It's amazing what they're doing. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's if a lot of other people would put it there exactly, but that's why because people have to see it. It's so amazing to this day. It still holds up. It's like the Honeymooners or Lucille Ball show that it that it does. It has not gotten dated with time. It's the the jokes are just as funny today, and that's what keeps it so funny. Anyway, in this movie, at the end when they're at the mayor's office and the mayor is talking about stuff that's happening, he says. Up in the Bronx, the walls are bleeding at the 53rd Precinct. And that's car 54, the 53rd, which I was like, holy crap. And I had to get that in there. Um, well, the guy that plays the mayor, he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff as well. he just passed away recently. Oh, that's a shame. They should have got the guy who played the mayor in, in Batman, who looks like... Um, yeah, because he plays Lenny Clotch or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> they should have got the, he, the the guy who plays the mayor in Batman, also plays the mayor in Taking Pelham 123, who looks a lot like Ed Koch in my mind. Yeah, yeah. The great uh, Ed Koch. Um, and yeah, so, you know, and, uh, what else? There's, there's, I mean, you know, uh, after the movie was done, kids would come up to Sigourney Weaver, ask her if she, um, if she can really turn into a dog and it was all really weird stuff. Yeah. Well, you, you know? also have to put it in perspective, like and she that, was best known for Alien at that point. Yeah. And she wanted to do so like, like a comedy like role. So it was like kind of, uh, well, she wanted to do a comedy role, but of course it was kind of like, I bet like calculated casting to put her in, yeah, it, you yeah. know, having been kind of the star of a horror, you know, even though it was, you know, more science fiction, alien oriented to have her in it is very, probably very much, uh, you know, a calculated move and she's, she's good in it. You know, it's funny cause you hear about like an alien. She was like really stuck up, you know, she was a young actress at that point, thought she was going to have, you know, she was too good for sci-fi movies and yeah. shit like that. And then, but she took it, she took Alien and, you know, it's, you know, now she take, has taken possession of. Yeah, she's the girl. Of, of you Ripley, know. you know, and uh, That's, it's, I mean, and now she loves it. So it's like, it's funny that like, she was like, oh, I'm not going to do Alien. I'm not going to do the silly Alien movie. And then she ends up doing it. But then, you know, you flash forward just five years or so. Yeah. And she's doing this. And she's doing like kind of a goofy comedy. So. Yeah. And she went to Sarah Lawrence, which is right, like literally next door to me for college. And she went to, I guess, Yale drama for maybe a master's. And um, she talks about that, that she did a lot of comedy at Yale. And this is why she wanted to kind of show that she can do other things. But like you're saying, I think it is very well calculated that they're having her in a movie that's kind of semi horror like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then she. And she's great in it. She, and mean, she plays it straight. Yeah. And she's really honestly she, playing off of uh, Bill Murray's kind of like, you know, antics or like, yeah. you know, lame, you know, come ons and stuff like that. She plays it really well. And um, especially then, you know, you see how gorgeous she is because when they flip and they turn her into like uh, Zul, you know, she kind of she's you know the, the whole different makeup job, you know, the emphasizer. It's funny, even, you know, it's funny her hair. even like growing up, like I never really thought anything of her. I mean, I remember thinking, you know, growing up, thinking she was you know attractive and 
Ghostbusters and whatnot. Yeah. But honestly, it wasn't until, like, Galaxy Quest. Oh, she's absolutely gorgeous. Where I was yeah, like, fucking Sigourney Weaver's hot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when did that happen? When did I know this before? <laughs> like, man, when did she get hot? Yeah. Hey, she's, she's fabulous in that film. You know? She looks good as a blonde in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's great in it. And then they talk about, too, that that scene where she gets levitated off the bed, that was, again, a, a great, it was a practical effect that, yeah. that you, you do in the old days, like on stage in Broadway. Bill Murray, some of his best lines are in that scene. Yeah, where she's levitating. And, and they she, say some well, of it's ad-lib, too. Well, she's, she's like, I want you inside me. He's like, it looks like you got at least two people in there already. <laughs> and those jokes are funny. Like, you yeah, know, a lot like of those... it's funny. Like, it's some of his yeah. best jokes are in that scene, actually. Um, the... Uh, Stay Puft was supposed to be a, between Michelin Man and, and uh, Pillsbury Doughboy. Okay, yeah, I could see that. That was the idea. Cameo, Ron Jeremy had a cameo near the end, which I didn't see. I, I missed him, but You're evidently it's in the widescreen. I'm a big... I always look for Ron Jeremy movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's behind one of the, I guess, the the uh, horse, the, the, the wooden horses that are set up near the end oh, on Central Park West. Then you could see him. Uh, I have to give a shout out to the comic book. I was a huge fan of the Now Comics comic. It came out in... Um, USA and now comics did only like 30 issues. It was really, really good. And that was based off the real Ghostbusters cartoon show. But then in England, Marvel UK had the rights to it. And they produced a whole bunch of stuff over there. And there's actually a quite a, uh, a big lore of the, of the comic book over there because they went on to produce like over here. It ran for 20 issues. 28 issues but marvel uk published 193 issues so there's a lot going on over there um uh for the for the comics and if you have a chance check out the comics the the real ghostbusters comics they're real good and um the terror dogs are awesome right they're they're very crazy looking awesome you know they're very scary i remember at the time like that whole scene when they're running after rick moranis in the central park and they get to where are they at their tavern on the green and he yeah. gets to the window and then like people couldn't see the dog and i thought how scary the dog was and and even the dog in the in the closet that's all crazy and uh i guess it was modeled off a dog it, in philadelphia there's a museum or a library that has like a dog that's kind of similar outside that they kind of modeled yeah, you know off what? Of. that does sound familiar there are some crazy statues of like lions and and weird dogs yeah <laughs> most a lot of them in like bronze and stuff like that. I could see that. Yeah, so that's where they got the idea for that. I think it's awesome. And and then, you know, it's like going back to like those real like masters of of artistry. Like you could see them sculpting and making these. Oh, yeah. Th- that's mean, all stop motion. The effects are beautiful. And of course, you know, the Richard England, we have a debate whether that's yeah, his name or not. He went on. I mean, he did a lot of stuff. It'll, he also did Monster Squad. Yeah. Um, uh it's just you know, and it's, it's and there's parts of the movie that are just so freaky, like when she comes in, and then that whole scene where the shit's going down and she gets abducted when she turns into Zool, like where she gets when she gets blown onto the chair and those arms come out of the chair and grab her, and then they pull her in to the door and the door. Oh shuts. yeah, that's scary. That's yeah. all you know. Like so, I love they have these comedic roles or even scenes, but then you have these other things that are very straight. And that are played scary, and they work, and especially for me watching it as a child. Yeah. Like those, the parts with the eggs, the library scene at the beginning, that part where you're seeing stuff happening in the apartment building to the end are very scary. The terror doll. I never noticed as a kid, but watching it this time, like one of those hands is getting some action. Oh, is it? Is it, gra- it it's like grabbing her tits? Me, me. <laughs> That's so funny. Giving a squeeze. Uh, I love that guy when you know when they get into the hotel, they're going up the elevator, and there's that like 
older guy that's standing there. He's like, "What are you guys, cosmonauts?" <laughs> he says yeah. to him, and then he says some other line to him. They're like, "Oh, we're you know we're cockroaches. That must be uh, we're exterminators." He's like, "That must be some big cockroaches." And then like you could tell the guys are probably like a character actor for years. Yeah. The elevator door is like, "I'll take the next one." <laughs> he lets him get in. I thought that guy was really funny. Um, so I guess to wrap this up, what do you have for, um, I mean, there's other deleted scenes we could talk about. Uh, I hope we've, for all the, the, um, the ghost heads out there that are listening to this, that we've tried to do our best to try to include as much as we can. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, know, there's the new one coming out, which I know there's been kind of a fan backlash against some of the previews. You know, I find the most, the thing I find most interesting about the new one is the one that plays like the blonde who's on Saturday Night Live. Kristen Wiig? No, no. The one who plays like, looks like she plays like the Egon character. Mm -hmm. It looks like they visually. I'll try to match up the people. But it looks like they visually patterned her look after the cartoon show of Egon. That well a lot of that has become She's got like the big round glasses and a big like yellow, yellow quiff or whatever you yeah, call it, you know. Uh, which I, is kind of interesting. I like how they took a lot of the I like again to give props to the cartoon how the cartoon expanded the Bible and put a lot of stuff in that now has been used in the the, the comic and maybe even I wonder in the second movie if there's nods. There must be because I think the relationship hasn't the oh no cuz in the in the movie it's Janine and Rick Moranis right or an item not her and Egon in the second movie in the sequel. I think yeah. the two of them were an item. Um, you had talked about the third movie. You know, the, uh, well, they did the second one, and that was kind of a flop. And through the 90s, Dan Aykroyd had an idea of doing a third movie, and he had just been sitting on the idea. And basically what it was going to be is it was going to be an alternate version of Manhattan called Manhelton. And they were going to like go into another dimension where the people and places are like these hellish, hellish versions of the originals, and they'd end up meeting the devil there too and i guess they use this script whatever script he had written for this uh they used it on a ghostbusters video game around that time oh, yeah. but that was the idea he conceived for the three of them to do a movie and Cir- then circa our college years i always had this like you know i always had an idea for a sequel that i thought would have been awesome which would have been like maybe you had dan Aykroyd and ernie hudson but then they bring in like a new crop of guys. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I had them all cast in my head. The only one I can remember was Jason Lee because I was really into Jason Lee. Oh, he would have been great doing that, you know. <laughs> well, I think that was the, kind of the idea. They it were going to have bring... young guys taking over the business from the older guys. Yeah. See, it says, yeah, it says here they, the third movie was going to feature a, a new younger group of Ghostbusters while Egon, Ray, and Winston, who was referred to as Dr. Zegmore, struggled to keep this business alive after Peter leaves to be with uh, Diana. So that's interesting. Um, and it goes on. I mean, there's a new show coming out now called uh, Extreme Ghostbusters. Extreme Ghostbusters was another cartoon show that came on '97. But there's a there's a new uh, show coming out called Ghostbusters uh, Ecto Force, which is going to be debuting in 2018, and it's supposed to be the Ghostbusters in the year 2050. So that's going to be a new animated series coming out. Mm. Which, uh, you know, they're they're keeping the thing alive. And uh, like we said, the um, hey people don't the Stay Post Marshmallow Man that's licensed, that's a brand that's going. Uh, as you long know. as there's money to be made, they'll keep it alive. Yeah, and and it, it's built a cult following through comic book, through the movies, through um, the uh, amazing cartoon show. Um, and uh, lastly, the Ecto Siren was a uh, was a uh, a leopard snarl that they edited and pitched in other weird ways, which is a weird thing to think it's a leopard snarl. <laughs> you know, what did you think? What did you? What are you giving it now? Uh, I give it uh, sleepover buckets of pizza. Is that what you're asking? Sleepover buckets of pizza. Uh, I'd give it a three and a half to yeah. four. 
Okay. It was How about totally um, enjoyable? Are you doing sleepover movie too? Like a, a one to do it to watch with it? No, I'm sorry. Uh, are you rating it as well as like a, in the context of a sleepover? Sometimes you like to delineate if the two. Well, that's it's if I if I say it's that's when I that's only when I feel like it's not. It a, doesn't really. I see. It, it, it's 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 arguable whether it's a sleepover. Movie. But I, I think this movie is total sleepover. Yeah, I was gonna say material. I think this is pretty. Yeah, this is pretty high end uh, for a sleepover. This is something where my father would have rented this and then rented like Abbott and Costello, you know, the ghost or you know, yeah. uh, you know, who's that ghost? Darn that ghost or something like that or. Or what's the damn one with what's his face from uh, you know Andy Griffith show, Don Knotts? Oh, yeah, you know, Don darn Knotts. that ghost or something like that. Um, I think I would give it like a three. You know, I mean, uh, it's solid. It's like I said, watching it in 2014, I was so surprised that it was just such a straight plot. But it ends up being that's what it is. Yeah, and that's it. No, there's it nothing wrong. Yeah, with it doesn't that. need to be anything else. Yeah, exactly. So I think it for for. Sleepover stars, I give it like a 3.5 to 4. I mean, it, it accomplishes it, and it, it wraps up in a nice tight bow. You know, he ends up with the girl, uh, Bill Murray. They're heroes. They're all, fa- you know, famous now. Um, another tidbit, when advertising, you know, that little commercial that they play in the movie, they actually started playing that on TV with a, instead of a 555 number. They gave a 1-800 number, and they had people calling, and they had, like, stop the phone system. People were Because <laughs> they had, like, a recorded message, like, you know, catch us in the new movie coming out, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they were just playing that randomly on the TV, like, huh. you know, Interesting. Ghostbusters. So, um, yeah, good. Recommendations? I didn't even think of a recommendation for this. For the sequel? Yeah. Yeah, Ghostbusters 2 would be good. And then I was, um, saying, I was saying to you, I was saying the sequels, uh, for some reason, uh, synonymous in my head with nothing but trouble. Yeah. Well, which is a weird movie uh, which by, I'm sure by, we'll, from the mind of Dan Aykroyd. I'm so sure maybe, we'll get to. So maybe that would be another good one. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that freaking movie because that's that's a really 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 weird one. Um, I like there's another movie that I've always been fond of growing up called Go- The Ghost Breakers and it's from 1940 and it's a, a Bob Hope's in it and it's a fun movie where it's kind of the same thing where there's like you know ghosts and stuff and wackiness going on and it's you know it's, it lends itself to that Abbott and Costello kind of a feel of where the heart of this movie originally was. So I would maybe recommend that Ghost Breakers in 1940. Uh, Okie dokie. Yeah. Uh, check out our, 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 our other stuff we got going on. We have our Facebook page. We have a Twitter page. We have, um, oh, what the hell else? You have your Score to Death page check over there. Score to Death. It's on Twitter, Score to Death. On Facebook, it's, just look up Score to Death. It's The book's available now on Amazon if you're interested in uh, horror movie music. Yeah. I interviewed 14 composers who are best known for composing horror movie uh, scores, including... Friday the 13th, Halloween, all the big ones. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. You said Hellraiser. The Hellraiser. new movies, Insidious. Insidious. The, the Conjuring. Conjuring. So, yeah, those, so they're relevant. They're, I Cabin mean, they're new. Fever, Hostel. Yeah. So uh, check that out. That's coming out, and that's kind of one of the first in its genre to, 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 to really... Uh, yeah, a lot of really fo- fascinating pinpoint guys. That. Guys from Goblin, if, yeah. you're, into, if you're into Italian Dario Argento and yeah. stuff. I interviewed those guys. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to look at the take of how they compose... And how they oh, do, yeah, you yeah. know. I mean, yeah. look, I, fascinating. I, you wrote a book on it. This was so interesting. I, I think anybody talking about their process, an artistic process, is pretty interesting. Yeah, I find that always fascinating to hear. So, if you're process, into that kind of shit, you know. yeah, <laughs> check it out. Check it out. So you, you, you can order it on Amazon. Right? Yeah, scored to death. And you got a Twitter page too. You got a Facebook it's on Twitter, page. Facebook. Yeah. Uh, our Facebook page is at, uh, at Sat Sleepovers. Check our Facebook page out. Check our homepage out. We always like to say we have extras. And our homepage, um, stuff that, you know, that goes along, like, further reading in the cast. We just did Greystoke, the Tarzan cast. Check that out. We have a lot of earlier casts that we think um, 
are really awesome. We said Remo Williams, planes, trains, and automobiles, earn a safe Christmas. We have a whole ton of old stuff uh, that we've done that, that you know we think you may like out there if you like this. And um, we'll be back in two weeks with another great summer movie. And that's going to be a real summer fun one where a lot of summer exciting. And it's kind of related to this for two reasons. And we'll talk about those two reasons. In two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget we have awesome... Uh, our buttons. Yeah. Vintage yeah. 1984 Ghostbusters buttons. Pins. And we're going to go try to find some um, Ecto cooler in the basement oh. and try to get some drunk off of some <laughs> Ecto ripple. Um, so, uh, yeah. That's it. Uh, and I guess another recommendation is check out the cartoon, man. The real Ghostbusters. Yeah, is, is I think amazing. it's on Crackle. If you want to see it, I, think you know, it, I believe it's on Crackle. Groundbreaking. I'd hold it up to anything back in our. I did a double day. feature. Uh, I was like kicking it really old school. Uh, oh. I did a Ghostbusters and real Ghostbusters. And, uh, I did. Uh, I did an episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Ooh. And the Ghost and the real Ghostbusters. Wow! 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 That's funny. I was kicking a retro. Wow, that's good. I was living it. You're living a dream. <laughs> living back living in the old, old days. School. Wow. Uh, all right. Later. Oh, so